Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Tuesday. Michelle Smallman is here. I'm Randy Carriker. Matt Rocchio is our producer engineer at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. Good morning, Michelle. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing great on a Tuesday. How are you? I'm doing well. I had the the Blues are playing so well. I figured I'd just stay away from the game last night. I I went to bed because I knew the Blues were going to win, and so I oh. just went to bed. And so I'm I'm happy this morning because I, I know that the Blues not only were victorious in Calgary, but they're going to beat the Flames here on Thursday night as well. Okay, so bad news. Bad, bad news, good news. Situation. Oh, maybe they lost what what two one one nothing. No, no. Okay, stick with me here. Bad news, good news situation. The Blues ended up losing seven to one. Seven to one. They scored first. They allowed a touchdown. They allowed a touchdown. Correct. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Bennington, not his best outing, did get pulled. But here's the good news, Randy. Okay. Is this was just another example of us getting to watch future blue Matthew Kachuk be a star. What did he do? He was unbelievable. He had a career-high five assists. He just is an unbelievable talent. He was flying around, making plays. He's going to look amazing when he wears the blue nose. Does he go with uh, number 19? Do they replace, like, Joe Bo- J-Bo Easter wore number 19? Or does he wear dad's number seven? His brother Brady wears number seven. Walt wore number seven. Does Matthew come home wearing number seven? I think that would be a pretty cool thing if he came home wearing number seven. I remember asking Chris Long, who took 72 as a rookie, I said, why didn't you take 75? And he said, and this is, is my very first interview with him in 08, right after he got drafted, he said, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're already going to get compared enough to yeah, your dad. Exactly. So as Michelle mentioned, the Blues did take the lead last night, courtesy Tyler Bozak. The Blues get it back to Costin, shoots towards the goal, they center in, they score! Tyler Bozak. On a centering touch pass from Oscar Sundquist. Take a one nothing lead. 14.50 to go, first period. Yeah, plenty of time to go in that first period, and that allowed Calgary's Zadorov, Tanev, and Lindholm to score 3-1 after a period. Then in the second period, it was Monahan, it was Coleman, it was Ruzik, it was Goodrow. As Michelle mentioned, five assists for Matthew Kachuk. 83 shots fired on net by Calgary at the Blues goal, 34 by the Blues against Calgary. Total shots on goal, 48 for Calgary, 21 for your St. Louis Blues. So not a great effort. The the goaltending was disastrous. The defense was disastrous. The forwards were disastrous. It was their third game in four nights. And you understand there was a little fatigue that set in. But, Michelle, there was not one single positive element to take out of last night's game. Other than the fact that it's over. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so and Matthew Kachuk, I told you. That's, well, the, that's our positive element. Future uh, blue Matthew Kachuk yeah. looked amazing. <laughs> that's a, I love that positive outlook. Hey, we got to spin it somehow. Uh, uh, Coach Craig Berube, what, 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 what happened? Well, we didn't have any legs, that's for sure. I, I You know, I, again, you know, they're, they're a big, heavy team. I mean, obviously, they got that top line. Uh, a lot of skill there, and they exposed us. And, uh, you know, our special teams weren't very good. And the bottom line is we just, as a team and a whole, we weren't we weren't any good. That's the bottom line. There's no one specific thing I could point out. You know, when you're playing a team like the Calgary Flames, you got to be ready to go. You got to have a high compete level. You got to have your legs and you got to make plays and you got to do a lot of good things. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any of it tonight. I love his unbridled honesty. But what else is he really going to say? Yeah, he, I mean, there's we, nothing else he can say. We watched the game, you know, which yeah. is why I appreciate his candor and his approach because he knows that if he tries to sugarcoat it or spin it in a different way, that the reporters are only going to press further. So he might as well just get out in front of it and say we weren't good, we didn't have our legs, and he's absolutely right. They didn't. They looked gassed. They looked they really did. tired. And Randy, we talked a lot about Jordan Biddington and Billy Huso. We talked to David Perron about how we are kind of viewing this as a goalie controversy. And he said, no, that's not what's happening with inside the dressing room. He just needs to get his confidence back, which is why I assumed that Jordan Bennington would be in net versus Vancouver, a, mm-hmm. a, a lesser team, a lesser team yeah. clearly. Or not, Seattle. Or Seattle, in knowing that you have this schedule where at the end of this stretch where you have three games in four days, you're likely going to be gassed, and the defense in front of him is not going to be stronger. I would have assumed if, if you're trying to build him up a little that he would get that shot not last night. 61 attempts at the Blues net in the first two periods, and Bennington clearly not good enough. He allowed three goals on 17 shots in the first period, four on 18 in the second period. Captain Ryan O'Reilly, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I really disappointed with that. You know, and that's that's all myself, and you know, it's leadership. You know, um, you know, leadership group. You know, we gotta you know lead this group in a way to to play better defensively for everything that he's done for us, and you know, he's been. You know, look at the course of the year and, and years he's been here. He's been our best player and, and given us a chance to win games. And that, uh, yeah, that, that's frustrating. I, I feel I feel bad for him and, you know, disappointed with myself because that's uh, that can't happen again. You know, he's hurt soul of his team and, and done so much for us. And we, we have to be better in front of him. Michelle, my opinion is this. Yes, the Blues did let him down. But Biddington didn't do much to help himself either. He was not good. No, and just like Craig Bruby is always honest, you know the playbook from Ryan O'Reilly is to mm. always take blame himself yeah, and right. never call out his teammates. So he's never going to say, yeah, we should have been better, but so should 50. He's never going to do that. And I appreciate that his teammates are trying to lift him up and that they're taking responsibility for their part in this. But there are moments where, where I'm sure if you ask Jordan Biddington, he would want those moments back. And David Perron told us, look, after a couple of weeks, we need to get Jordan Biddington's confidence back. That's mm-hmm. the issue with him. It's not the physical skill set. It's his confidence. Coach Craig Berube, how does he get that confidence back? Well, he'll fight through it, Benner. He, Benner's got a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, he's a winner. And, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about that. He'll he'll bounce back and he'll fight fight his way back like he always does. This is just another great example about how these are human beings and that they're dealing with things that we all deal with too. It's just very magnified mm-hmm. on a big stage. And yes, they they get paid a lot of money to do that. But this is someone, if, if prior to this stretch for Jordan Bennington, you had me power rank guys in order of confidence on the Blues, he would be firmly at number one. 
he's the guy who said down the stretch of mm-hmm. the most pressurized moments of our of sports lives maybe do I look nervous in a game seven of a Stanley Cup final on the road with the franchise's first cup at, at stake he delivered this is someone that I would have never thought that confidence would be an issue for him which just shows that there are ebbs and flows in every player and every career but the good news is is that we've seen him have it before mm-hmm. which leads me to believe that he can also find it again meanwhile baseball for the second time in 56 days baseball owners and players will meet and try to work out a new collective bargaining agreement not only will it be the second time in 56 days michelle it'll be the second time in two days this is great that's momentum that's progress as far as i'm concerned keep them talking and today will be the announcement our friend greg amzinger will have the announcement on mlb network of the Hall of Fame and he thought last week and we'll talk later about this uh, Greg thought last week when we spoke to him that there would not be a Hall of Famer announced and that we would only have the hall, the old timers that, that are presented at Cooperstown this summer which I think is ridiculous. It seems like Big Poppy is getting close. It's going to be a game time decision for him. But I, I know it's hard to get in, and that makes it very special and such a rarity to get elected. But also, come on, you mean to tell me that within this group of players that there are no guys that you think are definitively Hall of Famers? I don't like the posturing of, well, I think he's good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, but not good enough to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I'm going to withhold my vote until he's had a little bit more season. Come on, that's ridiculous ridiculous and I'll I'll be interested to see what conversations arise Randy if David Ortiz does get in because this is someone Mm -hmm. who is under the cloud of suspicion when it comes to PEDs not 100% confirmed there is a lot of gray area there but how is that going to shape the conversations about other guys who had suspicion as well and it really does make the voters look hypocritical doesn't it I think so because Big Poppy is beloved. Everybody yeah. loves him. Mm-hmm. He is uh, a guy who's still in the national consciousness, doing national games. He was the face of a city for a long time, the face of a championship for an organization that for a long time didn't have it. He, he's the face of one of the faces of breaking a curse. And that's all great, but you can't tell me that if the same exact situation happened with him that it did with Barry Bonds, who's who was universally disliked exactly. by a lot of people in baseball, that the voting would be exactly the same. It wouldn't. And as we speak, Ryan Thibodeau at Not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter has 49% of the ballots known. 182 ballots have been made public. As we speak, Bonds, 78.1% of the vote. We would expect him to fall below the 75% threshold. Roger Clemens at 77.1, same as Barry Bonds. Big Poppy, 84.4. So if he misses, it's going to be by a fraction. Mm -hmm. And I I still think that there's a very good chance that he could get in there. Uh, As we look at Manny, 36.5, A-Rod, 39.1, and Scott Rowland has fallen to 69.3%. So it's highly unlikely that Rowland will make it in 2022. Which is so disappointing because not only is he very deserving of that honor, but it seemed like there was such traction for him this year. I know that mm-hmm. the voting, uh, it tends to come in waves. You, you get a lot of votes for someone at the beginning and then that tapers off as more ballots become available. But it just seemed like so many voters were getting interviewed and they were campaigning for Scott Rowland or making their case as to why they thought Scott Rowland would and should get in. And those announcements announcement 
announcements will be made this afternoon on MLB Network, and the guys in the fast lane will have that information for you between 2 and 6 here on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running. Coming up, what's next for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in the NFL? It's coming your way. Carriker and Smallman, 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sean Murphy bunting after that play was limping noticeably. He fell down trying to cover Cup. Stafford straight drop back, pressure off the edge. Deep ball, middle of the field. Cup is open. It's pulled in inside the 20 by Cup and down near the 10. Clock is moving, 18 seconds. Rams trying to get up there to spike it. 14, 13, Stafford racing forward with 11, with 10, trying to get everybody set. They can't stop the clock with a timeout. They've got a snap and spike. They do. Stafford spikes the ball with four seconds left. And here comes the field goal team for a 20-yard try that'll win the game in regulation. What an incredible throw and catch by Cooper Cup from Matthew Stafford. Again. Cup goes right down the middle of the field unencumbered. I have no idea what defense that is the Bucs are playing where they let Cup go straight down the field right past Antoine Winfield. Nobody has a timeout. Four seconds to go in regulation. Matt Gay on to win it for the Rams. Snap, ball down, a kick is up, and the kick is good! The Rams are going to the NFC Championship game, and have we seen the last of the most decorated quarterback in NFL history? Tom Brady, is he done? The Rams looked like they were done the way the Buccaneers came back, but they still win it in regular. And the big question is, is this the end for Tom Brady? Nobody really cares about the Rams going to the NFC Championship game. <laughs> Michelle, Randy with you on 101 ESPN. And Brady obviously is going to be asked the question. The news came about last week during the week. Jason LaConfora on CBS suggested that there was talk within the Tampa Bay building that this might be it for Tom Brady. And then ESPN picked up up on it on Sunday. It's been a topic of conversation. And Brady was asked yesterday, his end-of-season press conference, does he have a timetable to decide whether or not he's going to play? I'll know when I know. And um, it's it's a day after the season. So I think for all of us, you know, we can all decompress a bit. It's been six straight months of football every day consumed by, you know, day in and day out football. And I think now it's just some time to spend some time with my family and spend some time with, you know, my kids. And uh, hello. Hi, Vivi. The, I can't hear you. He said hi, Vivi. Hi. It's my little angel. Biggest difference now that I'm older is I have kids now, too, you know, and I care about them a lot as well. You know, they've been my biggest supporters. My wife is my biggest supporter. It pains her to see me get hit out there. And, um, you know, she deserves what she needs from me as a husband. My kids deserve what they need from me as a dad. You know, I'm going to spend a lot of time with them and, you know, figure out in the future what's what's next. Michelle, the priorities of a player change. This is a player that played for a coach who, during a Super Bowl parade, chanted no days off, Mm -hmm. no days off. And now Tom Brady taking some time, as he should, to determine at the age of 44, soon to be 45, whether or not he's going to play anymore. To me, the, the key, the money quote there is, my wife hates to see me get hit. 
and my family deserves to have me as a mm-hmm. husband and as a dad. Tom Brady has never really spoken like this about his future. We've never really he's of course talked about his goals in the future and how he's maybe going to retire at 45. Like there's been discussion about when he'll hang it up, but never to the point where he talks about his family's desire for him to end his football career. And part of me thinks that there's no way that after the statistical season that he put up and the heart-wrenching way in which the Bucks ended their season, that Tom Brady's not coming back for one more year. Because another quote that he had in that interview was that, I'm not going to come back unless I can give 110% mm-hmm. to my team. If I'm not performing at an elite level, that's when I know it's time to end. And he is still performing at an elite level. Aaron Rodgers, MVP, likely, but Tom Brady was in that discussion the entirety of the season. So I wonder what's going to win out the competitive side of Tom Brady that knows he can still go out there and do it and he has always wanted to play into his year 45 season or the dad and husband Tom Brady who's watching his kids grow up and understanding that those moments are fleeting and that wants to be present for his family and you have guys Kurt Warner Troy Aikman Steve Young, they retired because of concussions because physically they shouldn't be playing anymore there were other guys John Elway, Joe Montana could still go, even though his last game he did suffer a concussion. But they said at their press conferences, I just can't prepare mentally anymore. And quarterback, I guess along with catcher, if you're Yachty, has to be one of the most, if not the most, mentally taxing jobs in all the sports. Getting ready, not only for a game every week, but starting in April, getting ready for a season and being the leader of a franchise and being in the weight room every day and being like he is with his receivers during the offseason, whether it's on a beach or on a field or on a park where they, they get their uh, breaking and entering, whatever it is. <laughs> a, a little classic Banny, no yeah, big deal. Right. Those days he, he may want to spend with his family now. That's right. So I read It's Better to Be Feared, the Seth Wickersham mm-hmm. book, which I thought was in a very detailed and uh, revealing look into the brain of Tom Brady. And I took a picture of this quote because it really stuck with me. And I think it's really uh, a, a good vantage point to look through when you think about Tom Brady and what he could decide. So he... He talks about how the only way that he really cares about legacy is when parents name their kids after Mm -hmm. him because he thinks that that's pretty cool. But he says, but legacy, at least the way many sports fans defined it, Brady says he doesn't give a bleep. No one can take away his accomplishments. He always played for himself, for the love of the game, for the opportunities of personal growth the sport provided, and for the rush that came with continually raising the stakes. He needed to be great, not to impress anyone else, but to satisfy his own and Nate needs. And I wonder if at this stage of his life, if that compulsion is the same, what more does he have to prove at this point? Nobody's ever going to catch him. And he knows that. He he knows that. And yes, 45 was always the target goal. But if he's not motivated by legacy or any of these other things, and that fire within him is dimmed even a little bit, and he knows that he can go check out, spend time with his family, get away from the game, and that he's mentally going to be okay with that decision, then it's done. Brady started in 2000. Aaron Rodgers started in 2005. Brady has seven Super Bowls. Rodgers has one. So they're looking at their futures a little bit differently. What about Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I did not think we'd be talking about this after this game, but, right. uh, you know, I'm going to take some time and, and – uh, have conversations with the folks around here and then take some time away and make a decision. 
um, obviously before free agency or anything kind of gets going on that front. But you know, it's uh, it's fresh right now. It's it's you know a little shocking for sure. Definitely haven't you know was hoping to have you know a nice week after the NFC Championship to enjoy the lead up and and then start contemplating some things. So I haven't even haven't even uh, let the moment really sink in yet. And Michelle, that was Saturday night after the game yesterday. Matt Lafleur met with Rodgers, and then the Packers coach met with the media. Yeah, I, I sat down and talked to Aaron today for quite some time. Um, you know, I think we're all a little numb to the situation right now. And so um, I would say that what we talked about, I'm definitely going to keep between himself and or him and myself. But, um, you know, we're hopeful that he'll be back next year, obviously. I mean, this guy has done so much for such a long period of time for this organization, for this city, for this team. Um, and so – uh, you know, I, I want to be respectful of his process, whatever he needs to go through to to make the best decision for himself. And certainly uh, we, we would love for him to be a Packer and be a Packer until the day he, he decides to retire. Yeah, if you are Matt LaFleur, if you are the Packers, you know your best chance to win a Super Bowl is with 12 under center. Of course, you mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer for you. And of course, you've had those discussions. But this is why Aaron Rodgers made the deal with the front office and expressed his concerns this offseason leading into the season is because he wanted to be able to decide for himself and decide what his future would look like. And I think the best place for him to be is in Green Bay. I think that's going Mm -hmm. to be his best chance to win if that's his goal. I don't know if that's what's necessarily motivating him at this point. Maybe he just wants a fresh start. Maybe he's looking at the Tom Brady scenario and – And rightly saying, I'm going to make any team I go to a contender, and if I have the assurances that they're going to build around me, I can leave Green Bay and go somewhere else. This is a place that I have given a lot to, and maybe I just want a new chapter. And Michelle, I I was looking yesterday, because Brady obviously is a different animal, but in the last 20 years... Eli Manning won his last Super Bowl at the age of 30. Ben Roethlisberger won his last Super Bowl at the age of 26. Drew Brees won his Super Bowl at the age of 30. Uh, The only guy who's won, there have been a couple of guys, several. Uh, Peyton Manning won at 39 with one of the great defenses of all time. Brad Johnson won at 34, back with the Buccaneers in 2002 at the age of 34. Other than those two the only quarterback that has won a Super Bowl after the age of 30 is Tom Brady. And I feel like you need to remove Tom Brady from the conversation I because do too. he is the greatest of all time. Yeah. No one is going to stack up to him, and it's not fair to compare no. them to him. So, But otherwise, you have Mahomes at 24, Foles at 28. By the way, Wentz was 25 that year. He played the most of the, most of the snaps for the Eagles. Russell Wilson was 25. Joe Flacco was 27. Eli, 30 and 26 in his victories. Rodgers was 27 when he won. Uh Peyton Manning was 30 when he won with a bad defense with Indianapolis. So, yeah, I would say that it might be unlikely that Rodgers wins in Green Bay, especially in that weather. It's one thing to go to Tampa and win if you're Tom Brady. But does Aaron Rodgers win in the cold and snow anymore? 
And that's one thing Tom Brady did mention during his interviews. He said most guys retire and they move to Florida. I'm already in Florida, mm-hmm. so it makes it a little trickier because I do have the climate that I want, and, that, and that's ideal for me to train and play in. But I wonder, Randy, I would like to go through those names and look at their contract structure at that time. How much of it is youth and how much of it is that teams were able to build around talented young great quarterbacks point. before they had to cash that cash that, that check? That's a great point. All right, uh, gut feeling on both. Let's start with Brady. Does he play next year or not? I think he does. And I think he's going to go to the family. I think he's going to retire. Rodgers, does he play? And if so, in Green Bay? I think he plays not in Green Bay. I'm with you. And I think he probably winds up in Denver. That's where I'm looking at, too. But if you're Aaron Rodgers, do you wait for Brady to decide first? I don't think so. Rodgers said that he wants to make his decision by the start of the league year. Brady might take longer than that. If Nathaniel Hackett, who Rodgers advocated for as a head coach in the NFL, he's the Packers offensive coordinator. If Hackett gets the head coaching job in Denver, that probably sends Rodgers to Denver because now he's got a coach where he he wanted control and he knows he's going to have control. Mm-hmm. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, baseball negotiations resumed yesterday. What should we take out of what we know from yesterday's talks? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. Oh, by the way, Auburn a 13 and a half point favorite tonight in that game at Mizzou. The over under 143.5. So if you want to grab your phone and uh, get on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook, the, thir- the Auburn Tigers, the 13-and-a-half-point favorite over the Missouri Tigers. Download FanDuel. Uh, I kind of like the chances of Auburn. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. Michelle, yesterday, MLB owners and players met in their second bargaining session since lockout started on December 1st. And here's what Evan Drellick wrote at The Athletic. In Monday's meeting, the Players Association dropped its request to introduce an age-based free agency system, withdrawing a proposal in one of the three major areas MLB had shown no interest in changing. That means the amount of service time it takes a player to reach free agency, six years, is most likely going to remain unchanged whenever the sides reach a new deal. That surprised me that players would move off of that so quickly. Drellich goes on to write, The players had previously proposed a system to get some players to free agency after five years if they had reached a certain age, 30 and a half, and then eventually 29 and a half. During the meeting, Major League Baseball Deputy Commissioner Dan Hallam said that MLB is willing to lose games over some of the outstanding issues the sides have. It's not clear whether Hallam was issuing a threat or simply stating the obvious. With the time to free agency question gone, Two of the major topics remaining are whether MLB could become amenable to any changes to revenue sharing and the time it takes a player to reach arbitration. I can't imagine, A, that players are going to walk out of this with nothing. Mm -hmm. Whether it is different revenue sharing, some sort of a salary floor or protection that teams, if they don't reach a certain salary threshold, will have to pay fines, or less time to arbitration. I have to believe the players are going to get one of those. And if I'm the players, and we haven't met for 56 days, and in the very first meeting we have, Major League Baseball is saying, yeah, we aren't afraid to, to miss games. I'm saying, to hell with you, we aren't either. 
We got a war chest, baby. Which is what they've said all along, mm-hmm. is that they were preparing for this moment because they were taken to the woodshed in previous negotiations. They had the war chest at the ready. They were stockpiling for these negotiations. And I don't know about you, but I, I reread this a lot yesterday. I even texted you. I don't know if this is a if I should be encouraged by this because the two sides are talking and plan to continue talking. And I thought it was I was I was surprised that the players would drop an issue so early, but I also took it as a positive sign because they're willing to give something up, hoping that the owners now, in good faith, will also mm-hmm. be willing to drop something. It just seemed like this was uh, an olive branch in some way, uh, let's come to a compromise and get this these discussions rolling sort of movement. But I don't know if the owners are going to take it that way. I don't know if the owners are going to say, well, you know, they moved back on asking for free agency to be tied to a player's day, so why don't we give them this in, in an effort to keep these discussions positive mm-hmm. and moving in the right direction so that our fans understand that we're serious about this and that we don't want to miss any games. And- if the players had three major issues and one of them is knocked out, then that is a positive. They're a little bit closer. Now, I wish there were a fan representative in here. There, There isn't. I would love for it to be you. Well, here's what I would ask, Michelle. You're great at debating. Thank you. The union revised its proposal to alter revenue sharing between teams, and that's a problem that owners have among themselves. They can't figure it out. And I would walk into that meeting and I would ask the owners specifically, I said, okay, going into this season, what chance do you think the Reds and the Royals have of getting to and winning the World Series? And they'd say, eh, not great. We, we don't care yeah, about that. Yeah, just play them. the mode drop. Mm, not great. And then I would say, you realize that the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals are playing for a slot in the Super Bowl this very weekend. And the reason that they're able to do it is because the the NFL has across-the-board revenue sharing. Not only that, but Buffalo was a play away. Buffalo, one of the smallest pro sports market in America was a play away from going to the AFC Championship game. A coin toss away. Three (laughs) mini markets that have the chance, right, literally a coin toss away. Uh, Three mini markets that are, one's the favorite to win the Super Bowl, and two others that had a great chance to get to the Super Bowl. And those are markets that would have zero chance of winning a World Series. So I would go to the owners and say, don't we as fans deserve a better opportunity to see a competitive or winning team like football has in Kansas City and Cincinnati and Buffalo? It's a very very salient argument, Randy. And if I were in that room, I would love to hear a fan's perspective and I would be forced to listen to it. However, they're probably looking at that scenario and they're thinking, well, both New York teams are dumpster fires because of this situation. Um, Now a lot of it is inept decision making Mm -hmm. on both of uh, the Jets and the Giants parts. But baseball wants those big market teams to continue to be the kings because it's more eyeballs for them and bigger television deals which means more money they're not thinking of it as parity across the league equals a more competitive and balanced marketplace for us and the the cycle of teams that are going to be good are going to be different and they're going to counter and say well look at the look at tampa bay look at the rays look what they were able to do with smart scouting and things like that you don't necessarily need to change the financials in order for small market teams to be successful and by the way to be fair here we should point out that the players actually to have revenue sharing 
they don't want what we want. The player's proposal would have reduced the amount of money moving between teams by about $100 million, but yesterday's proposal was a reduction in the union estimates to be about $30 million. So the players want the Yankees and Dodgers and Red Sox to hang on to their money and to continue to be able to go to the luxury tax, whereas owners at this point want to stay where they are, where less teams have the ability to get to that $210 million luxury tax. And I can tell everybody right now, I can tell the owners, I can tell the players, there's like four teams that are going to get to $210 million. If you maintain that luxury tax at $210 million, you have the Dodgers, you aren't going to have the Cubs there anymore. You're going to have the Dodgers, the Red Sox, maybe the Angels, and the Yankees. And and the Mets. I'll go five. I'll go five big market teams. But that's it. Nobody else is getting to that $210 million. So it's... Uh, and those teams are the Dodgers went under so that they could stay under the cap. The Yankees have maintained a payroll under $210 million. It's a fallacy for players to think that ownership, any ownership of any team, is going to consistently go over that $210 million threshold. But you're coming at it from a rational point of view. You're coming at it from a point of view of what is best for the game as a whole? Mm-hmm. What's going to make baseball as a whole more entertaining and more competitive? So, I, you know, I, I just look at both sides. As holes. <laughs> they, but, <laughs> what type of holes? <laughs> but I don't think that that's where they're coming from. They don't care no. about... Uh, as long as they get the television deals, I don't think they care about the ratings. As long as they get their money at the end of the day, they don't care how popular their sport is. They don't care if other teams have a competitive, the same competitive advantage. It doesn't really matter. I wonder how many of these owners actually care about winning a World Series. Like, you know that Bill DeWitt cares Mm -hmm. about winning a World Series. He takes great pride in his organization and wants to win. How many of these owners actually care about winning? I think there's three, maybe. uh, I'll go four. I'll go John Henry in Boston. I'll go to the Steinbrenners, Hal Steinbrenner in New York. Seems like like Steve Cohen wants to win. Yeah, they're they're, spending some money. DeWitt, and then obviously the Dodgers ownership. They have no restraints in trying to win. But otherwise, who's going for it? Obviously, Crane was that way in Houston. It doesn't appear to be that way anymore. Yeah, not many. And way more don't care than do care. So the issues that we're looking at are not the prominent issues in their minds. And here's the way I feel about this. You asked the question, should we feel better or worse? I love the fact that the, the players made a concession. I hate the fact that ownership said, yeah, we don't mind missing games. Me too. And that they leaked that to the media. Yeah. And I would have liked the owner to make the first concession. That would have Mm -hmm. made me feel much better about this situation because I feel like both sides are going to be dug in, but you knew the owners were going to be more dug in. So if they were the side of the table that made the first concession, I would feel great about this because you know the players, if this comes to a standoff, the owners are going to win. And you know that the players are going to respond a little bit more favorably than the owners will. The owners don't want a 2-1 win in the bottom of the ninth. Uh The owners want to win this game 14 to nothing. They want it to be like the last three games of the 1996 LCS between the Braves and the Cardinals. But what they don't understand is that they're all losing if they take that approach. Everyone's losing if they take that approach. I guarantee you, in those meetings yesterday, fans were not brought up a single time. No, of course not. not. They don't care. No, they don't care about us at all. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's where you are on the baseball negotiations. Coming up, the text line is open. The Air Comfort Service text line number 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Matt Rocchio. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle, Antonio Brown going on another podcast, the I Am Athlete podcast, and saying that he wants to play with Lamar Jackson and his cousin Hollywood Brown with the Ravens. Take it or leave it. If you were the Ravens, you would do it. I would leave it because I would just play the video of how Antonio Brown left the Bucks because mm-hmm. you know it's not going to end well. How much production will you realistically get out of him? When he's on the field, he can be great. He's a very talented guy, but you know it's not going to end well. Will that happen in the playoffs? Will it happen after week two? That's the risk you take, but you know there's going to be some sort mm-hmm. of drama. So I would go ahead and leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. They spent a first-round draft choice on Rashad Bateman last year. They have Hollywood. They need to go out and get another receiver. But I don't think A.B. is the answer. I'd be more inclined to keep him if Ray Lewis were still around in his prime to get him because I think Ray Lewis would probably keep him on the straight and narrow. Well, as much as a an alleged double murderer can. Keep him on the state straight and narrow. Well, we thought Tom Brady would. Yeah, we and did. did for we, a long we thought time. that. I mean, he was, Tom Brady did a good job for a long time. But even Tom Brady. Uh, Mike Tomlin did an amazing job for a long time. I want a 30 for 30 on what Mike Tomlin did behind the scenes. Yeah. Between A.B., Le'Veon Bell, there was a lot, the the Big Ben stuff that happened. Mm -hmm. A a lot of drama happened in Pittsburgh that was really kept under wraps or at least tempered because Mike Tomlin is an unbelievable coach. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I want to know. I want to know what was going what, on. What happened that they had to deal with? Come right. on, Mike T. Let me know. So, Randy, we're going to find out about baseball's Hall of Fame today. And Jeff Passan has an amazing new piece up at ESPN.com. And he talks about the goal of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And he talks about the actual definition of what Cooperstown is supposed to provide for fans, including this sentence. The National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum's mission is to preserve history, which is what we seek to do throughout the museum. As Jeff Passan poses in his piece, take it or leave it, if Barry Bonds does not get in the Hall of Fame, they have failed at their stated mission. I'm going to leave that with a caveat because there is a lot of Barry Bonds stuff in the Hall of Fame. He just doesn't have a plaque there. So the the story is told with Barry Bonds, but uh, it's stupid for the Baseball Hall of Fame to not have him in that corridor and have his plaque up in that corridor. Doesn't it seem a little hypocritical? His story is important enough to be in Cooperstown, yep, but that's he, what I always thought. but he's too tainted, so we don't want him to him to be honored. Yep. That's ridiculous. There was a time not too long ago that in the in the hall, not the not the corridor, but in in the great hall of the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, there was more Pete Rose memorabilia on display than for any other player. Yet he didn't have his plaque in the corridor. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm with Jeff Pass, and I think that's a very concise way to put it. If your stated mission is that you're supposed to preserve the history of the game, there are certain people that you should not keep out. And this is why. 
the voting process needs to change because it's the writers that are keeping him out. Writers who have no real credible evidence that caused him to ever be suspended or punished by baseball. They don't have credible evidence that he cheated the rules of the game at the time the rules were in place. So when Hub Arkish came out and said that he didn't want to vote for Aaron Rodgers because... I'm paraphrasing. He's a jerk. He's mm-hmm. not He's not a good guy. I don't essentially like what he's doing politically. People went nuts. And they said, you should only focus on the statistics that we see on the field. The person should be removed. We should only talk about the player. And I know that PEDs affects the player, so it's a different conversation. But it certainly feels like a lot of people's personal biases and their personal morality and what they think is good and or bad gets woven into their decisions when voting for guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame yet we don't see the same outrage. You are 100% correct there. And when you look at the Hall of Fame ballot now, my opinion, people like A-Rod and Manny should not make it because they broke rules. They broke baseball rules where it was collectively bargained by their union. Mm-hmm. That never happened with Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. They never broke rules. Or Mark McGuire. Right. The, they never were... They, they never did anything to cause themselves to be suspended by the sport. And we're talking about the Sports Hall of Fame. I know we're going to get texts that say, well, steroids were against the law. Maybe, maybe not. You could buy Andro at GNC. Well, you know what? If a guy time. got a DUI, that's not keeping him from getting into the Hall of Fame. And that's, that's breaking the law. Fergie Jenkins is in the Hall of Fame. He, he used cocaine and was caught with cocaine and wound up in jail because of cocaine. You're 100% right. We just justify it based on what we want. Yeah. Uh, your tech 65780. Rock, what do you got for us? Take it or leave it. Pittsburgh is a better fit for Rodgers than Denver. I'm going to leave it because I think the cold weather has gotten to Aaron Rodgers. Not that it's not cold in Denver, but you could easily have a 60-degree day in January in Denver. Denver has a surprisingly amazing climate. I know yeah. we think mountains, we think snow, but it is better than Pittsburgh. But I know Denver is the... the franchise that everyone is circling but think about what we just said about Mike Tomlin and all the success that he's had and the way that he's been able to despite a lot of drama put a great product on the field it's an organization that's committed to winning I think he'd be a great fit there and I wonder if he would consider somewhere like Pittsburgh the thing is they go 13 and 3 you get a home game when it's five degrees outside and then what happens what happened the other night it, he's just not the same guy unfortunately when it gets cold and that's been borne out by his home playoff games mm-hmm. take it or leave it jack clark was the best number four hitter in cardinals history oh, oh, oh. oh man well jimmy edmonds was pretty good when he was in his prime Kim boyer was pretty good when he was in his prime um but for seasons, I mean, he played two full seasons with the Cardinals, and he was the middle of the lineup. And they went to the World Series in both of those years. Hard to argue against the production of Jack Clark. And he was more than just a power hitter, man. He could hit. But I have trouble saying that he's the best number four hitter in the history of the franchise. Yeah, you could go back and forth with he and, and Jimmy Edmonds yeah. on important moments right. in and, production. And there were times when Roland hit fourth also. So, yeah, it's... It's difficult. It's it's hard to say. Take it or leave it. Last night was a prime example of why the Blues need to find a top four shutdown defenseman at the trade deadline. I'm going to leave that. I don't think last night was at all indicative of what the Blues are. Because they were gassed? Yeah. 
and you're getting good work out of Mikola and another half season to play for Mikola, he might be that guy. He very easily could be that guy once you get to the playoffs. I think what you're looking for, if, if you want to add size defensively, my thought is, is that you're looking for an upgrade over Bortuzzo, a guy that is, and Robert Bortuzzo is perfect for what he does. He's a number seven defenseman. But if you want to get a, a, a guy that is big and can move somebody out of the crease, that's that's where you go. But we always go back to 2019, and when we, you had two huge pillars in, on the defense, and they were constantly f- beating you with their physicality, that's always what we're going to defer to right. as the template to win. But that guy, the Blues can't fit that guy under the cap this year. So they're going to have to go with what they have, or it's going to have to be a hockey trade. I don't know if you want to give up Vladdy right now I to go get that defenseman. I wouldn't disrupt I with the, the production you're seeing from him. Isn't it amazing that Jay Bomeister took so much heat during his career, mm-hmm. and now that he's no longer playing, we look at him with such reverence and realize what he did for the Blues and how great he actually was? Well, since I've been watching the Blues, there's always had to be a whipping boy. Right now it's Bennington. There's always a whipping boy for Blues fans. But heck, a couple of years ago, three years ago, it was Doug Armstrong, right? They, people wanted him fired. So you, you got to have that guy. And then sometimes you don't realize what you have until that guy is gone. And I I, I think that you just brought up the perfect example in J. Bill Meester. People, yeah, they despise him. Oh, get rid of Bill Meester. Apparently it's uh, National Irish Coffee Day, so oh. take it or leave it. And Irish coffee is the best morning adult beverage. I'll let you Italians figure this out. Um, You know what? Morning I'm adult- not Irish and I don't drink coffee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> morning adult beverages. If we're going power rankings, if I'm hungover, a Bloody Mary's number mm-hmm. one. If I am not hungover, mimosa is number one. So depending on the day and or how I'm feeling, the power rankings can vary. However, I will put an Irish coffee in the top three. With Bailey's, right? With Bailey's, yeah. S- see, you can't beat the mimosa because you can rationalize. I'm getting that vitamin D. I'm being a little healthy starting my day. That's right. So, so what if there's maybe, a, maybe and maybe you go a little Hoosier uh, mimosa, go a little tequila in the, in the orange juice instead. I've never done that. Oh, you should try it. that. You're just giving me all sorts of food and beverage insights <laughs> since you've joined the show. I love it. And then last one, uh, take it or leave it. This one, he's still thinking about it. If the Bills squib kick it with 13 seconds left, they're playing in the AFC Championship game Take this it. weekend. Take it. I keep thinking about that, too. Yeah. I am with the texter. It has not left my mind. I feel so badly for Buffalo fans. They're going to have nightmares of squib yep. kicks. Either, either a squib kick or a pooch kick that goes down to the 10-yard line, and then they fair catch it at the 10. What are they going to do? It's one of those. Your kicker's good enough to either squib it or pooch it, but you don't kick it out of the end zone. You'd at least attempt it. Right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Coming up on Carriker and Smallman, has Jimmy Garoppolo forced the 49ers to change their thinking about his future? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, don't forget that 101 ESPN's Championship Bash is Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. Join members of the 101 ESPN crew, Car Shield, and Bud Light for the AFC and NFC Championship Games. Enjoy tons of TVs to watch the games. There's great food and drink, music, a bunch of giveaways throughout the day, including a grill, jerseys, tickets, and more. The Bash kicks off at noon with a live pregame show leading up to kickoff at 2. Hope to see you Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's for the Champ Bash, brought to you by Car Shield and Bud Light. A pregame show hosted by none other than Randy Carricker, no less. Randy and Anthony, That's looking right. forward to that. Great pairing. Michelle, if the 49ers win Sunday, it'll be their second Super Bowl appearance in the last three years under Jimmy Garoppolo. And I was 
looking up some statistics last night. How about this one? The 49ers in the last five years are 31 and 14 when Jimmy Garoppolo plays. Without Jimmy Garoppolo, they're 8 and 28. Mm -hmm. 31 and 14 with 8 and 28 without. We talked about that yesterday with our friend Nick Wagner of ESPN.com. There's always this debate on whether quarterback wins is actually a stat. Like, should a quarterback get credit for for the wins he gets? But we've reached a point with Jimmy Garoppolo where the numbers are just so dramatically different when he starts versus when somebody else starts for the 49ers that you have no choice but to acknowledge there's got to be something to it. And what I think it is, he's such a leader. He's handled everything this this year so well that I think you see his teammates rallying around him. They, they really believe in him. And when it comes time to, to make plays at the end of games like you saw in Week 18 against the Rams, he got the job done. One of my bold predictions of this postseason, this NFL postseason, Randy, a couple weeks ago, was that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play impressive. He's going to be impressive enough during this stretch that he makes the decision very difficult for the 49ers. And I think we're seeing that bear out. And there's so many factors that go into this. As Nick said, Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner. You mentioned the numbers. He's 33-14 and 14 as a starter in the regular season. He's 5-1 and one in the postseason. Mm-hmm. His only loss is the Super Bowl. And we always focus on that one drive. We focus on the fourth quarter. One throw. That's, yeah, of the, of the Super Bowl. And that is obviously an important thing to add, but we're talking about one drive, one throw. The body of work otherwise has just shown that Jimmy Garoppolo gets the job done. As Nick Wagner mentions, anytime you hear 49ers players talk about Jimmy G, they love him. They talk about what a great leader he is, how tough he is, how he brings the room together. This guy's playing with a hurt hand and a, and a bum shoulder, and he's still going out there tough as nails and executing and getting the job done. We saw that Trey Lance is not ready, and maybe with some seasoning and some time, he will be, but it's very hard to find a quarterback that can execute and do it when the pressure is at, at the at the peak. And I would just be very um, – I would wor- work with trepidation if I was the 49ers to just move on past Jimmy Garoppolo. I know that Trey Lance has a lot of the tangibles and intangibles that they're looking for as their future quarterback, but I wouldn't be so cavalier to move on from a guy who's 5-1 and one in the postseason. That's the thing. Is there a guy with greater intangibles in the league – than Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, everybody would love to have the skill set of Aaron Rodgers or the the clutch gene of Tom Brady. Not everybody has that, but this team is set up so that they don't need Garoppolo to pass for 4,500 yards every season and throw 38 touchdowns every season. It's a, a team that is based on the run offensively that throws the ball when they need to. And kind of like Lamar Jackson in uh, Baltimore, they utilize the tight end more than the wide receivers. George Kittle is his number one target, and that sets up perfectly for his game. He's not a guy that's going to be throwing the ball deep downfield on a regular basis. And I would imagine if the 49ers do make him available, that he would garner a lot of interest throughout the league. I mean, he's a, a proven winner. He seems like a guy that can fit in well with any organization. And look at the the places that he's been. He was in New England. Bill Belichick absolutely loved him, thought he was drafting his future quarterback for the next 20 years. The only reason that he's still not there is because Tom Brady strong-armed them. Mm-hmm. But think about that, that Bill Belichick was ready to move on from the greatest of all time because of what he saw in Jimmy Garoppolo. Then he goes to San Francisco. He's worked under Kyle Shanahan. I mean, this is a guy who has great football knowledge. He's been in organizations that have helped him grow and make made him better. And 
I don't know. I'd just be looking at the numbers. I'd be looking what what football people and his peers say about him, and I definitely want to take a chance on him if I was another team. So, Nick Wagner, if the 49ers are able to get to the Super Bowl or even win the Super Bowl, do they keep Jimmy Garoppolo? I think if Jimmy Garoppolo goes out and plays really well this weekend and they get back to the Super Bowl, and, and if they win the Super Bowl, then I think that conversation maybe becomes a little bit more interesting in terms of whether he stays or, or they try to keep him around and figure out a way to, to go another year with him. But I always laugh, Michelle, because I've heard people nationally say, well, what what are the Niners going to do if Jimmy Garoppolo wins the Super Bowl? It's like, I think the Niners would be okay with that. Like, <laughs> that's the best problem you could possibly have. So uh, I, I think, you know, if it comes to that, the Niners, yeah, it would be a tough decision, but they'd be more than happy to be in that position where they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a, and a young rookie that they're really excited about. Okay, scenario time. Mm-hmm. Jimmy G wins the Super Bowl for you. He's amazing in the game. All the ghosts of po- post-Super Bowl pass are behind him. What do you do if you're San Francisco? Are you more likely to move on from him, knowing that you've probably gotten the most out of him that you're going to get, and this gives you an opportunity at his peak to get a lot in return for him and then invest in Trey Lance as the future? Or are you less likely to give him up because he just won you a Super Bowl? They got Trey Lance because Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't healthy all the time, and they didn't think they could count on the likes of C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins. Lance was not good when he played this year. If I'm in the Super Bowl with a guy two out of three years, there's no way I'm moving a Super Bowl quarterback two out of three years. And by the way... If I am, if he's available and I'm the New York Giants sitting there with the fifth and seventh picks in the draft, I'm trading one of those picks to get him. Can you imagine Jimmy G in New York? Oh, he's a star anyway. He would be yeah. on the cover of every every magazine. He would yeah. be. He's hanging a, out in Little Italy. I mean, he'd be a New York Post fixture. Come on. Yeah, he, he'd be unbelievable there. And he's a winner. Matt, hanging what do you out, got for us? Hanging well, out in Little Italy. We were just talking about this, you know, in the in the break. You win a Super Bowl, your value goes up. You know, look at what happened with Nick Foles after he won a Super Bowl for right. the Eagles. All of a sudden, his value got jacked up. If you're the 49ers, that might be the best, best time to trade him. You have that residue, that Super Bowl winning residue on you for Jimmy G. But yeah, if I'm New York, absolutely, I'm trying to wheel and deal and get and bring him there. The Ravens moved on from Trent Dilfer after they won the Super Bowl in 2000. They signed Elvis Gerbach, and they were never the same under Brian Billick. They were always looking for that quarterback, even though Trent Dilfer wasn't that great. But sometimes you just have to understand that guys are capable of winning. The, the numbers might not look great. And by the way, his numbers from 2019 were really great. But the, the quarterback numbers might not look that great. you got to look at that one-loss record. And the biggest knock on him, other than that, that one stretch in the Super Bowl is that he's not been available. The best availability, yeah. the best ability is availability. But you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, Kyler Murray clearly is a guy who t- who gets injured and doesn't look mm-hmm. the same for a while after he comes back. Lamar's been injured. It's just the nature of the game that you're going to deal with injuries. Not everybody's going to be Tom Brady where you don't miss a lot of snaps. It's just unfortunately something you have to deal with. I would take more into account what does he look like when he when he is healthy for me. And right now, Jimmy yeah. G, a far better option than whatever Trey Lance is even though his ceiling appears to be very high. I would think the Giants, the Panthers, I would think would be interested. We've mentioned several times the Steelers, they they should be interested. Depending on what happens with Rodgers, Denver should be interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. If you're Rodgers mm-hmm. and you know that Trey Lance isn't ready and that they might not be 100% mm-hmm. sold on Jimmy G, 
I know that that's the team that's been your kryptonite in the postseason, and it's the team you grew up loving as a boy, but it's a team that's built to win now. Are you trying to do a backdoor deal to get there? He did it last year. I can't see why he wouldn't this year. I would, too, if I was him. I mean, that seems like a, a potential landing spot that not a lot of people are still talking yeah. about. I think I think wherever Jimmy G goes, though, he's going to win. He's just a winning guy. He's the Italian stallion. Come yeah, on. There you go. Forget about it. He's a winner. <laughs> That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we'll head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and head into the Blues booth with Darren Pang next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, and to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line we go. Darren Pang, analyst for Bally Sports and TNT, joining us as he does every Tuesday on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Panger. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Randy and Michelle. How are you guys doing this morning? Everything's good. Can I just take away the last night was one of those nights in an 82-game NHL schedule? Will you allow me to do that? Oh, I, I was thinking the same thing during the game, trying to explain that one. We, we've we been spoiled around here. We haven't had to, we haven't had to describe that kind of... Uh, uh, lethargic uh, playing or lack of competitiveness uh, for a long time. So I know a lot of broadcasters out there have to do this on a daily basis. And uh, boy, oh boy, God bless them because that's not an easy one. Panger, do you contribute that to the schedule, having three games and four nights? Do you think the Blues were just gassed? It, it's, I mean, it's always something that's, uh, that's a very legitimate, you know, reason for something like that, I guess. You know, I don't. I guess when I'm on, you know, when you're on the air and you're describing it, and people are working hard for a living, you, 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 tr- you know, you really try not to bring that up because it just sounds like an excuse. And um, the last thing these players want to make Michelle is, is mis- you know, really excuses. And they're not, they're not like that. But whatever reason, it just looked like their their boots were full of mud. And <laughs> and I, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, there's some nights where it looks like guys are just gliding over that ice, and it's no problem whatsoever. And I do know that you play back to back, and the altitude in Calgary is a little more difficult than people understand. It's second worst to uh, Colorado. Uh, coach talked about that at the beginning, and we we emphasized you know shorter, quicker shifts. But uh, boy, oh boy, I can't put my finger on the fact that they just had like nobody. It, it wasn't just you know one line, or it wasn't a goalie, or it wasn't one defenseman. I mean, it, it was the entire club. Um, and that's that's what was really discouraging about last night. And Panger, a lot of people this morning talking obviously about the goalie. And yes, the Blues did allow 61 shots at the net to Calgary in the first two periods when Jordan Biddington was in there. But you're a goalie; you you just can't allow seven goals in two periods. No, no. You, you, I mean, you, it's a bad it's a bad recipe for success. <laughs> I, and I can tell you firsthand that I've done that before. And, and uh, waking up the next morning, Randy, is, a, is an awful feeling. There's an awful pit in your stomach when you wake up the next morning and you realize that what happened last night was real. And you go, oh, boy, now we've got to go through a couple of days of explaining and getting back to work. And that's, uh, that's uh, it's a humbling feeling. But, again, going back to last night, I mean, listen, the magnifying glass was certainly on, on, on Jordan Bennington because of how well Billy Husso has played. That's, that's just natural. That's the... You know, that's what happens in, when you're an individual on a team sport and the, the magnifying glass is on you. Those are the facts. Uh, I thought he was kind of hung out to dry myself. Um, 
Could he have been better? Yeah, I, he could certainly have been better. But there was a lot of plays I watched after the game again just to just to kind of reconfirm. And it's like, boy, there was just some passive standing still and screens on top of him. And I, you know, I know I know Nico Mikola uh, took some of the the brunt of it and didn't play at all in the third. And maybe they were just trying to protect him. But I mean, you could have sat his partner. I mean, Colton didn't play well at all. Uh, you know, Justin Falk took a couple of penalties. Uh, I mean, you go down the list. I mean, the forwards didn't come back and the defenseman didn't defend. That's a, again, we're going back to team play and that's all the things that the blues have done so darn well. And uh, last night it was just uh, not in sync and, and not playing well to help out a goaltender that hasn't played in eight days either. Pinger, we know so much of being a professional athlete. Of course, it's physical, but the mental aspect is huge, especially for a goalie. We talked to David Perron last week, and he said that Binner just needs to get that confidence back. How does a goalie go about that? From a mental standpoint, how do you take away the performances that you would like to have back and turn the page? Yeah, that old control, alt, and delete switch is a hard, you know, it's easier said than done. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a hard one to put into play. Um, you know, the I think the the positive side of it is that Jordan Binnington's, you know, gone through this before after being five years in the minors. I think he knows, I, I think he knows what he needs to do, but how, how do you do it? Well, you win games. You, you, you go game after game and you be the first star or the second star or the third star. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're walking away again with swagger and everybody forgets uh, giving up seven after two periods in, in, in Calgary. But it's a slow, it's a process. And it's uh, might be one period at a time. It might be five minutes at a time. The great Tony Esposito, once told me when I was struggling, giving up goals early in games, he said he he literally said, "Panger, you got to break the game down into five-minute segments. Start the opening five minutes, look at the clock, and be great for five minutes. Then after that five minutes, get ready for the next five minutes. And you know, next thing you know, the period's going to be over, and hopefully you've got a, you know, you've got a, a good ratio going. So sometimes it's as simple as that, and not looking too far ahead. Do you do that with a season too? Do you break it down into? different segments like five, ten games? I like to. I mean, even when we're looking at the overall, um, you know, let's say your power plays, you know, struggling, or the overall numbers say, oh, my goodness, 14%. But, you know, then you break it down into five-game segments, and you go, you know what, The you know, ten days ago it was uh, it was two for five. Now it's three for six. Uh, it's getting better, although the overall number doesn't show it. Um, so I think there are some positive ways of, of – uh, you know, generating better input when you break it down into five or ten game segments. And Pinger, how would you approach if you're Craig Berube the playing time between Bennington and Huso? Because as you said, the only way to get that confidence back is for Bennington to play. But mm-hmm. with Ville Huso playing so well, that has to be a difficult decision to make as who as to who to throw out there when you know that you need to get those points in a very tight race. Yeah, I, I mean, really, I, I don't think it's that difficult a decision. I, I, th- I think throughout the course of 100 years of hockey or any sports, you, I mean, you've got to roll with the guy that has the confidence because that confident, that window of confidence also will close. So if you've, got a, a, you know, if you've got a point guard that's hitting threes and threes and threes, you're not going to avoid playing the guy. You're going to play him until he runs out of threes. And I think the same thing with the goaltender. I think the team feels where the confidence is. The team feels... Uh, you know, a goaltender that makes saves look easy, a team knows it. There's a sense that you have. And I know even as the goaltender that's been on the good side and the bad side, I can tell when the, the team knows that. So, I mean, I think for Craig Berube, this is just, I mean, this is just me. I mean, you, you, you play the guy that's right now that's playing the best hockey. And I, I think that, 
Jordan Bennington, piece by piece, will get, will get back to, to where he's at, and the team will play better for him when he's in that net. But at this particular point, uh, there's no reason not to play Billy Huso while he's on the role that he's on. Panger, last thing, Matthew Kachuk with a magnificent performance against the Blues last night, five assists. Did you know Matthew when he was a baby? Were you in Arizona when Walt was there? No, I okay. did see him running around uh, uh, the Beltel. Uh, what I think it was called that the ice rink. Uh, <laughs> I did a ton of games on ESPN back in the day, and a lot of them when Jeremy Roenick and Matt and and uh, Keith Kachuk were there, uh, Nikolai Hobby Bullen and that. So we we covered a lot of those games, and we 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 did, we do and did see the the Kachuk kids running around. <laughs> um, I think I saw I you know when I first came here thirteen years ago. I mean you know he they he were still teenager, pretty yeah. young kids running around the locker room of. Uh, here in St. Louis, so I thought he played a magnificent game last night. I, I mean, I thought that he, you know, he obviously moved the puck real well in the five assist night, but I thought he, you know, he just he just played the game and uh, uh, passed the puck extremely well. So the, their, their best line, which we talked about on Valley Sports, um, is is the best line in the National Hockey League when you go through everything: cycle chances, rush chances, slot chances, all the important ingredients, points, like overall shots. And goals and points. <laughs> Jesus, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it was number one in everything. So we knew going in, it wasn't a secret that they were, you know, they had to be stopped, and they weren't stopped. I mean, they had freedom to roam. It was like a pond hockey game for that line. And if you look at Blues history, you look at a guy like Brian Sutter, you look at a guy like Big Walt, Matthew's kind of built to be. He's, he's like the quintessential Blues fans blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. I, the, the Kachuk boys, uh, um, in fact, their sister as well. You take them all. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just great athletes, and they... They play with such competitive spirit. They they, I mean, they just understand. I mean, they just understand what it takes. So yeah, I'm. You know, you don't have to go further than me. I'm. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of the Kachuk boys in a big way. Panger, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. See you Thursday night. You bet. Bye-bye. See you. That is Darren Pang, Blues analyst on Bally Sports on 101 ESPN. As Panger says, you ride the hot hand. Yeah, or as. DeMarco would say, right, the hot guy. Yeah. He, well, what was the exact quote? I don't, I don't mind, mind riding, riding a hot, hot guy. guy. Yeah, we'll have to get that up and <laughs> it's running. It's amazing how things like that never leave your brain. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Tuesday edition of The Fight on Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33 in St. Louis. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Terrence to be Randy's challenger today. What's up, Terrence? How you doing? All right. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, thanks. Are you ready to jump into the fight? Oh, yeah. All right, let's go. Question number one. In the 2021 regular season, Cooper Cup set the second highest receiving total in NFL history with 1,947 yards. Calvin Johnson holds the record with 1,964 yards. What player turned in the third highest total, which is 1,871 yards? Is it Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, or Julio Jones? Mm. I'm going Randy Moss. 
All right, number two. From 1991 to 1998, John Schmoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox combined to win seven out of the eight National League Cy Young Awards. Who won the other? Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, or Kurt Schilling? Uh, this is for the National League, right? Yes, sir. Uh, can you repeat the, uh, the options again? Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and Kurt Sch- or Kurt Schilling. I'll say Kurt Schilling. Question number three for you, Terrence. Which NHL team drafted eventual Cy Young winner Tom Glavin in the fourth round of the 1984 draft? It was 69th overall. Was it the Los Angeles Kings, the St. Louis Blues, or the Hartford Whalers? Oh, oh. Uh, I'll say the uh, I'll say the Hartford Whalers. And number four, which stadium has hosted the most playoff games? in NFL history? Gillette Stadium, Lambeau Field, or Candlestick Park? I'll say uh, Gillette Stadium. Okay, we're checking our score here. Waving in Randy. He's chatting, trying to get his attention. Here he comes. Terrence, I'm going to do my best Danny Mac. What do you do for a living? I'm actually calling you from Los Angeles. I'm a signal system electrician for the city of Los Angeles Department of Transportation. Wow, L.A. So are you from St. Louis? What causes you to be streaming us from all the way from sunny Los Angeles? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm originally from St. Louis, born and raised. Uh, I've been back and forth over the years. Nice. Right now, I'm in, I've been, well, I've been in Los Angeles for about 24 years now. Wow. What, what brought you follow, out there? Work? Follow, yeah, I, I work in good weather. Uh, <laughs> I understand. It's cold yeah, here I, uh, today. Yeah, I... Uh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Yeah, I, I came out here. I've been out here for 24 years. Randy, please say good morning to Terrence. He's listening to us from L.A. Terrence, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. First of all, thanks for playing. And what is the temperature in Los Angeles right now? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'd say it's about... Uh, it's 10 here. 60 degrees. Oh, oh so they got 60, we got 10. So you know what I'm going to say? Even if you win the fight, Randy, Terrence might be winning today. I would say that's probably the case, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Randy, are you ready? Ready. Question number one. In the 2021 regular season, Cooper Cup set the second highest receiving total in NFL history with 1,947 yards. Calvin Johnson holds the record with 1,964 yards. Mm -hmm. What player turned in the third highest total, which is 1,871 yards? I think that might have been Jerry Rice in 87-ish. I'll go with Jerry Rice. All right, num- number two. From 1991 to 1998, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox combined to win seven out of the eight NL Cy Young Awards. Mm-hmm. Who won the other? So this, again, th- those years are? 1991 to 1998. 91 to 98. Um, okay, we did not have a Cy Young Award winner here. Uh, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. I don't think. Maybe he did. Let me just uh, go through this quickly. Uh, I'm thinking Doug Drabeck with Pittsburgh, maybe in '92. But I, I just want to go through some teams here. Um, 91 to 98, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, you know what? I think I'm going to go with Jake Peavy. I think he might have won in 97. I hope it was 90s. No, he might have won in 07 because he was pitching in 14. I'll, I'll, I'll do Drebeck. Final answer? Oh, uh, yeah, I'll go Drebeck. Question number three. Which NHL team drafted eventual Cy Young winner Tom Glavin in the fourth round of the 1984 draft, which was 69th overall? I called down Maxville and told him you got to take this Glavin. Because uh, he didn't want Tom Glavin, Ron Caron, did not want Tom Glavin to sign with the L.A. Kings. And so he, Caron uh, called the Cardinals and asked them to take Glavin, and they didn't. Yikes. Yeah. All right. Which stadium has hosted the most playoff games in NFL history? I think I saw this one, and I think it's Candlestick Park. I'm going to go with Candlestick Park. Good fight today. Good questions from Matt. Is Terrence not only winning the day with great temperatures and sunshine, did he win the fight? <laughs> the winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. Sorry, Terrence. You can't have everything in life. You can't have great weather and win the fight. Randy beat you two to nothing. <laughs> uh, thanks for uh, allowing me to play. I'm a, still a diehard uh, homer for the Cardinals and the uh, Blues. And I'll keep listening. I'll listen to you guys every morning. Awesome. Terrence, thank thanks, you so Terrence. much. We appreciate it. Okay, Randy, you won two to nothing. Let's run through our answers. So the player with the third highest receiving total in NFL history, 1,871 yards, is Julio Jones. Ah, okay. Yeah, They uh, so Calvin broke Jerry Rice's record, but Julio Jones subsequently passed it. Yes, okay. so it's Calvin Johnson, Cooper Cup, and then Julio Jones. From 91 to 98, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox combined to win seven out of the eight National League Cy Young Awards. The person who won the other one was Pedro Martinez. Mm, 97 with the Expos. Okay. Pedro. The NHL team that drafted eventual Cy Young Award winner Tom Glavin in the fourth round of the 1984 draft was, in fact, the Los Angeles Kings. And the stadium that has hosted the most playoff games in NFL history, as Randy told you, was Candlestick Park. Do you remember how many? I do not. 27. Pretty pretty many. Uh, Isn't it surprising that it's not Gillette? Or Lambeau. Right. So Lambo's yeah. twenty five, Gillette's twenty three. So you, in the same neighborhood. If you if you, if they had just played, if Gillette had opened in the mid nineties and caught that first Patriots run, they'd have five mm-hmm. more games hosted and would have the record by one game. Wow. How about that? Interesting. Well, congratulations, Randy. Thank you. Yeah, and now Candlestick will hold that record for what another dozen years at least. <laughs> you think? I think so. I mean, Jordan Love's not going to break it in Lambo. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and Mac Jones ain't break, ain't breaking it at Gillette. Randy, such a Mac Jones hater. I'm not it's a hater. First, first I'm just. Season. I, I'm a, it's first season. He did. I'm he a, did more than serviceable. I'm a Mac Jones realist. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. Who Who would you rather have moving forward, Jordan Love or Mac Jones? Oh, Jordan Love. Jordan Love has so much more arm talent than Mac Jones does. Okay. Not even close. Okay. So yeah, give me give me Jordan Love. All right, coming up next on 101 ESPN, we are going to head to a port somewhere in the Caribbean or something. <laughs> yeah, we're going. We went from L.A. to tropical. Yeah. Mike Claiborne joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend who joins us every Tuesday from ClabesOnline.com, Mike Claiborne, joins us. And the first question we need to ask is, where does Mike Claiborne join us from? It's kind of like a Where's Waldo or Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm in Grand Turks and Caicos. Can you describe the scene, Claves? We need to live vicariously through you. Uh, the water is very blue. It's about 78 degrees, a little breeze. Uh, I haven't started consuming any beverages yet. I just finished working out, and I'm in a store buying my significant a nice gift. Very nice. Mike, you just got up to 12 degrees here. <laughs> heat wave. Heat wave. Hey. Really? It's 12 degrees? Oh, yeah. You got to be kidding me. No, no, we aren't kidding you. Holy cow. Oh man! So hey, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most of it in memory of you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Hey, you have a great grasp of St. Louis history, and there's so many ways we can go with this. But Michelle just asked the question: If you could redo any sports move in St. Louis history, what would it be? It could be a player thing. It could be a team thing. What would it be? I would have built a stadium in an arena downtown. A stadium for the football Cardinals. Yeah. That's what I said, too. When we had the chance to build the, both of them at, at one time, and uh, the mayor at the time decided that wasn't a good idea, I, I think it really set us back dramatically. That was Randy's first answer to claims. But what about a player acquisition or a deal that was struck? Because the reason it got brought up is one of the questions for the fight today was about Tom Glavin. And, Randy, you can go ahead and, and tell him the story. But we were saying that the Cardinals had the opportunity to get Tom Glavin and pass. So I was wondering if there's one move as far as a player's concerned that you could go back and redo, what would it be? And, claims you remember... Ron Caron, after Glavin got taken by the Kings, Ron Caron calls Dal Maxwell and says, you got to take this left hand there from Boston. You got to take Glavin. <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, Mr. Caron was such a huge uh, baseball fan. <clears throat> so he was really into that deal. Boy, that's a good question. Uh, one I'd like to have back. Um, how about the one where, what did we trade for Mike Heath? Uh, that was Joaquin. Yeah, well, we had to make that move because he, 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 he became yeah. unglued. So. Uh, Carlton you trade. Carlton trade. You know, although at the time, it looked like, a, you know, you know, they were fighting over money. Mm-hmm. So that was an issue. I'm just trying to think of something that I'm just like, who thought this? Basically, what you're saying is we need a who thought this was a good well, idea trade. Huh? And, Mike, I got another one for you. And this is when I told Michelle is especially after talking to Judge Houston, the Blues offered Curtis Joseph and Rod Brindamore as arbitration compensation for yeah. Brendan Shanahan. And Lula Morello says to Judge Houston, hey, I just took a goalie in the first round, and it was Martin Brodeur. And Judge Houston told me if the Blues would have offered Paul Cavallini and Brindamore, he would have taken that package. Wow. Yeah, that, that would have been something. To have both of those guys on the same team, uh, that would have been something. Um yeah, you know, I, I think when you look back, I think the Blues trades were the ones that probably stood out more as far as why. Why did we make this deal? Yeah. Because, you know, we had multiple owners. Uh, you go back to Harry Ornett and some of the things he did, uh, you, you know, some of the moves he made strictly for financial reasons. Uh, that circuit that came in here with Dave Checkers and Don Davidson, that was not what I call one of the better times in St. Louis Blues history. Um, but I think I'd have to look at probably a blues trade. Um, 
Well, how about Royce Clayton? Yeah. You know, that was that was one that, you know, we probably could have done without. And it wasn't his fault. He just was traded at the wrong time of his career. Yeah, good call. Clay, some movement on the baseball front after discussions between the Players Association and the owners yesterday. Evan Drellich of The Athletic sums it up pretty nicely, but the players are no longer asking for free agency to be tied to a player's age rather than the amount of MLB service time. That was a pretty significant concession that they made yesterday. Both sides talking again today. Are you viewing that as a positive that the players took something off the table in hopes that the owners may may do the same moving forward? Well, you know what? It's one of those things where they're talking, and I think that's the most important thing here. You know, giving and taking at this point, that, that's something I think we have to wait and hold on to. But the fact that they're talking is a positive sign, and, and hopefully we'll get closer to having some sort of resolution. And it seems to me as if, if even if they can do it by March 1st, here we sit on January 25th, if they could get to March 1st, we could still probably play 162-game season. That's my deadline. Do you have a, a drop-dead date for 162-game season? No, I don't. I'm just, you know what, I'm at this point where whatever happens, happens. I just want to see them get it together. And like I said earlier, because they're talking, I, I feel better than I did this time last week. Hey, Claves, what do we got on ClavesOnline.com uh, right now? Well, the two-man game with your new producer, Matt Rocchio, and uh, Bob Ramsey this week. Uh, we'll do a little huddle up with Howard to look at the championship games this week. By the way, was there ever a better game on Sunday? I think that's number one in my book. Yeah. Uh, and it, there was no, no loser in my opinion. Well, there was obviously a loser. But, I mean, both teams played just played their hearts out. And that's something that I, I think I'll come to appreciate. But we'll do Huddle Up with Howard this week and talk about this weekend's games, which should be fabulous. Claves, real quick, what did you think of the NL, NFL overtime rules? Is that something that you would like to change? Yeah, we got to change it. You know, I think both teams should have the ball once. Uh, you know, the way college does it, uh, something I could probably live with. I just don't think a coin flip can decide a team season like that. And by the way, Claves, I just looked it up. Uh, the second rounder that the Cardinals took in 1984 with the seventh pick in the second round was a guy named Matt Kinzer, who never made it to the majors. That was seventh in the second round. And then Glavin went 19th in the second round of the Braves. So Ron Caron was right. Oh, boy. Yeah, you're right. He was. He was <laughs> right about a lot. He, and he, every now and then he got a hockey thing right, too. So, you know what? That's, that's a good thing for us. That's a good thing. Absolutely. Hey, enjoy your trip. Thanks for taking some time with us during your uh, your sunny day, and have a great time today. All right, I'll do that, and you guys stay warm, and I look forward to talking to you when I get back. You bet. See you later, Claves. All right. Mike Claiborne from Turks and Caicos, where it's 78 degrees on 101 ESPN. He is living. He really is. He's got it going. And he gets down to Jupiter early. You know, it's important that uh, that he get down there early because he needs to get the lay of the land. Of course. I think he might be the most affected person in America by the lockout. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't... completely screwed up his schedule getting yeah. down there. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like it. Yep. I mean, if, if your zag is that you have to go to Turks and Caicos, not a bad option B. Not at all. We get some texts, by the way, from uh, you, 65780. What would you have done differently in Blues history? How about the Cardinals actually giving Tatis Jr. a look and signing him rather than saying, nah, we don't need you? And they, they scouted him something like 18 times. He was down at their Dominican Academy, and they, they didn't look at Tatis Jr. Uh, they shouldn't have passed on Frank Thomas for Paul Coleman back in the 1988 draft. They wanted to get a high school player, a, a wooden bat high school player. They took Paul Coleman, I believe, with the sixth pick. 
they scouted Frank Thomas. He was, played for Auburn, and he was hitting against the eventual number one pick in that draft, Ben McDonald of LSU, and t- struck out four times because Ben McDonald was a stud. Mm-hmm. And they saw this Paul Bunyan-esque kid in Texas that was using a wood bat named Paul Coleman and thought, oh, we'll take this guy. And obviously, Frank Thomas wound up becoming Frank Thomas. So that would have been one to get back. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. Yeah. Paying Adam Oates, renegotiating and paying Adam Oates. Yeah, in history, as you look back on that one, probably not a good move for the Blues. Certainly not a good move for the Blues to not renegotiate with Adam Oates and give him a, a decent contract. There was no salary cap at the time. The Blues were okay financially, and having Holland Oates for a decade would have been amazing. What about this one from the 618? Kept Kurt Warner. Yeah, that would have been good. And that's one of those things where if it's between a quarterback and a coach, I'm always going to choose the quarterback. And I've always said, when Mike Martz walked into John Shaw's or Jay Zygmunt's office and said, we're going to release Warner, they should have said, Mike, we love you, but you're fired. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But we got to go with the talent. This might be the all-timer, at least from where I sit, from the 636. You should have signed Max Scherzer. Yeah, that would. Although it's interesting, Michelle, when we look back now, the Cardinals still haven't made a contract like that. Seven years, $210 million. But if you were going to do it for anybody, he would have been the guy, right? Yeah, hindsight being 2020, that would have, boy, they would have had some pitching in 2015. That would have been, they, they would have won in 2015. Mm-hmm. If, uh, well, yeah, they, they probably would have won. They, I would just take not giving him a contract that disrespected him to the point where he doesn't really want to have another conversation with, with his hometown team. That I mean, I would just take that at this point with him. Because at, at this point when you can't even have a conversation with him, it just hurts. Yeah. Thanks very much for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, how should the Blues pursue Matthew Kachuk this coming off season? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Nine o'clock in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And as fans, we're all talking about how the Blues get Matthew Kachuk. Even more this morning after he picked up five assists against the Blues last night, and he'll have the opportunity to come and play in his hometown on Thursday night as the Blues play the Flames at 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock pregame Thursday here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, when you look at the Blues this offseason, Matthew Kachuk will be a restricted free agent, and right now he's making $9 bucks. Right now, the Blues have... A little over $5 million coming off of the books. David Perron is a free agent after this season. He's making $4 million this year. You've got uh, Tyler Bozak coming off. He's making $750,000. And you got Bortuzzo at one3 So uh, let's see, four point seven five. So that's uh, about $5 million. Do I have that right? Four point seven five? No, six million dollars coming off the books, and then Huso, who you kind of hope to resign. Yeah, I, I would think I, so. I, I would think so. For a nine million dollar player, you have six million dollars coming off the books, and a lot of raises kicking in, especially for Colton Pareko next year. So, first thing you have to do if you want to get Matthew Kachuk is clear the books a little bit. You're going to have to remove probably about seven and a half to nine million dollars from your your current salary structure. 
you know that Matthew Kachuk is kind of the white whale if you're the St. Louis Blues. He's mm-hmm. only 24 years old. He's an incredible player. He's a hometown kid. He wants to be here. His style of play fits perfectly into Blues hockey. He is a piece that you could have for a long time that would be amazing for your organization and amazing for your city. And you're going to have to give up a lot to get him. That's what's going to happen. You just crunch the numbers. I wonder, Randy, if Vladimir Tarasenko plays into this at all. Because when we have these conversations in the offseason, his name kept getting floated out there. He obviously won it out of St. Louis. But at the time, he had had the shoulder surgeries. We didn't really know what was still left in the tank for Vladimir Tarasenko. But after what we've seen out of him this year, I would imagine if you start those discussions with him, they're a little bit more favorable in tone than they would have been a couple months ago. And... The, the question has to be, A, does he still, you'd think it would be more favorable. Does he still want to go? And if you're the Blues, who do you want more, Kachuk or Tarasenko? And does Calgary have any interest in Vladdy? Or would the Blues have to turn Vladimir Tarasenko into other assets that they could move to Calgary for a guy like Matthew Kachuk? We know that Vladimir Tarasenko, when healthy, is incredible. He has been so productive for the Blues this season. He seems to be really enjoying himself. He's bought into the team again. It, it's almost like this offseason didn't happen. It, it's mm-hmm. almost like his requests to get out of here weren't a thing. But he's 30 years old. He's had three sh- shoulder surgeries. And even though he looks like Vladdy right now, how much longer do you really expect that to happen? Whereas Matthew Kachuk, I'm looking at 24 years old. So you're, you're clearly going to get a different era of his career if you go after after him and I wonder how much Doug Armstrong plays into or how much this plays into Doug Armstrong's thinking even though it seems like this offseason didn't happen when you watch Vladdy play the season it did and Doug Armstrong knows that at least at some point Vladimir Tarasenko really really wanted to get out of here and I don't know if I if I'm army that's something that's always in the back of my mind everybody's been professional and has moved forward mm-hmm. and it's clearly been the best thing for the blues that he stayed but they had a conversation about Vladdy's future and army said when the right deal is presented I will get you out of here and that deal's probably still there it's may, it's maybe tucked away in a file but he did say that to Vladdy and I would imagine if it involves getting a Matthew Kachuk as part of a return that's the right deal now here's the other question that you have to ask yourself if you're the Blues is how valuable would Matthew Kachuk be if, for example, you would sign him to an offer sheet? Is it worth it for the Blues to give up multiple draft choice, high draft choices? Let's suggest that there's a possibility that you could move Tarasenko, kind of like when Washington moved Troy Brower here with a year left on his contract, and they got some value, in T, really good value, in T.J. Oshie. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just throwing out the idea of trading a guy and getting assets back for a player who has one year left on his contract. And then sign Matthew Kachuk to a contract with a poison pill that prohibits the team that owns the contract from... There's got to be a poison pill that prevents Calgary from being able to keep him as a UFA. You, there's There are poison pills that you can, you have to be creative about it, but you sign him as a restricted free agent and make it so that Calgary would have no interest whatsoever in keeping him. Well, they also know that he at, likely at that point would not want to come back. He There's always already been rumors that the Blues would be the only place that he would want to go. Right. And so if you're Calgary and you understand that, you would probably be looking at a situation where you want to get as much back as possible for a player that you know likely when they can leave will want to leave. And this is where they want to go.
And so I think that's the way to go for the Blues is to try to sign him to a deal. Just sign him to a one-year deal as a restricted free agent, and then he becomes a UFA the next year anyway, and do everything you can to make it prohibitive for Calgary to keep him for even the year. So what do you think that package looks like? And you, by the way, you offer Calgary first. You say, hey, you know the guy wants to be here. We know the guy wants to be here. So let's try to make this so that we can all be on the same page. Let's make it beneficial for both of right. us. I, I think that's where I would go first. But then if you're the Blues, you have to go $9 million, right? You have to. And what you don't want is to put yourself in a situation where he, if Calgary matches a contract, is stuck in a long-term deal with the Flames. You only give him a one-year deal. So what do you think that package would look like? A first-round pick, maybe? Vladdy? Is there another component See, I, to it? I don't think... Right now, I don't think Calgary wants Vladimir Tarasenko. I, I think you have to move Tarasenko for assets and move those to Calgary. And Calgary lost Giordano. So a three-team deal. Yeah, yeah j- or just two separate trades. Uh, uh, Johnny Goodrow is not going to be there for the long term. I know they want to build around Matthew Kachuk, but y- you just have to make sure that they're aware that that's just not going to happen for them. So, yeah, would I be willing to give up multiple number ones to get Matthew Kachuk in a Blues jersey? Absolutely, I would. But what other players that are currently on the roster do you think might be folded into that deal? Robert Thomas is a name that got thrown out there this offseason when we were hypothesizing about a Matthew Kachuk deal. Is that a player that you'd be willing to move? I don't think you can do that. Not with Ryan O'Reilly being a free agent after next season, a UFA after next season. I don't think you can afford to give up a top six center like that. Same, you've got Shen here. He's going to be here for Mm -hmm. the long term. But you don't know if you're going to be able to keep Ryan O'Reilly. So, no, I I don't think I would move Thomas in a deal like that. The Blues have all the leverage here because the player wants to be here and he is a restricted free agent and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So he can drive the bus. If Matthew wants to sign the one-year deal with Calgary and then become a UFA and come here, he can do that. So what you have to do is make sure Calgary is aware of the fact that, look, you can get something for him now or Mm -hmm. you can get nothing for him in a year. And we've seen Doug Armstrong make much more complicated deals than that. I have no doubt that he would get on the phone and find a way to put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. And I, I don't. I just don't know, with Daryl Sutter being their coach, what Calgary wants. Does, does Daryl Sutter have interest in coaching 175-pound Scott Perunovich? I, I don't know. He has a chance to be a really good player. We haven't seen yet. We know he's a good prospect. Does Daryl Sutter have... Any interest in coaching uh, a guy like Torepchenko, who's a big body, but is, is is he a difference maker? He's certainly not a difference maker like Matthew Kachuk is. But do they want – he won with a lot of nice complimentary players in L.A. Mm-hmm. So maybe what you do is you, you offer him up two or three big complimentary players that fit what the Flames do, plus a number one and a number two, and make a move that way. I think that would probably be the best way to go. Because I don't know if they're going to get a known commodity back. When you get Matthew Kachuk, he's a known commodity. You know exactly the type of player that you're getting. When you are making this deal, if you're the Blues, you're offering young pieces that haven't necessarily grown into what they're going to and draft picks, which you have to hit on if you're Calgary. So maybe that's that's part of the deal is we believe in these players. We believe they could ascend to -hmm. the level of a Matthew Kachuk, but it's up to you to get him there. I don't know, though, if I'm Calgary, if that's a deal I'd want to make. And you have to have the right general manager, and their general manager's been on the hot seat. They did convince Buffalo that Tage Thompson was a prospect, and they got Buffalo to take 
Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Sabotka. So Doug Armstrong convinced Philadelphia that Yori Letera had enough value that they took him for Braden Shen. He's done it before. That's why if I was another team, I wouldn't even want to pick up the phone if he was calling. No, I don't I'd think so I'd be like, so he's going to swindle me out of something pretty yeah. good. But what? Here's the thing. Would I do five for one for Matthew Kachuk? Would I do Logan Brown, Perunovic, Torpchenko, a one and a two? Yes, I would. I would too. And then who says no? Who says no to that deal? Do the Blues say no? No. Does Calgary say no to that? Maybe. But it, if they know he doesn't want to be there the long term, though, right. why wouldn't you capitalize on, it, on an offer like this while you can? Is it worth it to pass that package up for one more year of Matthew Kachuk? Especially if he's made it known that yeah. he doesn't want to stay there. Right. So I think he's going to be here. I think we just made the deal. Well, I last night told you it wasn't all negative, even though the Blues fell yeah. 7-1. to Future Blue, Matthew, Matthew Kachuk, Kachuk yeah. had an awesome game. Career from, high five assists. From the 636, don't tease me, guys. Don't tease me. And uh, from the 618, Philly hit well with the draft pick used for Shen. I think that was Morgan Frost. Who's a nice player, but he's not in in Braden Shen's league, at least not at this point. So, yeah, they did use that number one reasonably effectively. But would I rather have Braden Shen in my Stanley Cup than Morgan Frost? Yeah, I would. Me too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Hall of Fame announcement for baseball is tonight. Who should make it? Not who's going to. Who should? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hall of Famers for baseball will be announced this afternoon at 3 o'clock on MLB Network. They'll be talking about it in the fast lane with Anthony, BT, and Jamie Rivers. Michelle, as we speak, the public votes that have been counted by Ryan Thibodeau at Not Mr. Tibbs on Twitter. He has David Ortiz right now first with 84.4% of the vote. He would be, if these numbers hold true, the only Hall of Famer voted in by the writers in 2022. Well, I shouldn't say that because right now, as we speak, Barry Bonds has 78.1% of the votes, Clemens at 77.1%, and that's with only about half the votes counted. The other half will probably be private and will probably take Bonds and Clemens below the 75% threshold. As we speak, Scott Rowland is at 69.3%. So that probably goes below or stays below 75% as well. Greg Amzinger will host this afternoon on MLB Network. And I suggested to him last week when we had him on the show on Thursday that Ortiz might be the only guy that he announces as a Hall of Famer. And Greg disagreed. Uh, I am fully preparing as we do this show, which is going to be like four hours, uh, for no one to get in. That's what I'm preparing. Yeah, I'm preparing for no one to be elected in now. Thanks to the veterans committees, we've already got so many people to talk about, which is great. Uh, but this class of, of guys that are, are trying to push the 75% threshold, I just don't see it happening. Which is crazy, I think, because if you look at the ballot, there are several guys that you can circle on there that you think are Hall of Famers, but they're not going to get elected for one reason or another, not having to do with their on-field performance. And. Those include Bonds and Clemens, obviously, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. I do, too. Can you tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens? No, you can't. Now, 
A guy like Alex Rodriguez, who was suspended by baseball because he broke their PED rules. I would not vote for Alex Rodriguez simply because he was stupid enough to get caught. Mm-hmm. That's that's reasonable. He broke a collectively bargained rule. Same with Manny Ramirez, who has Hall of Fame numbers. But he got caught and he, he was suspended and he shouldn't be there. Michelle, the four that should be there this year who were never suspended for baseball, never tested positive once baseball initiated testing in 2004 are David Ortiz... Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Scott Rowland. What about Kurt Schilling? I, I I look at Kurt Schilling as a borderline guy, and I, I know what he did in the postseason. It was spectacular. But I just don't think his overall numbers are Hall of Fame. And I, it's really difficult for me. That's a really tough decision. He's one of those guys that's right on the edge, and I put him below my threshold. So David Schoenfeld over at ESPN compared Kurt Schilling and David Ortiz. So you mentioned the postseason numbers for Schilling. Mm-hmm. 2.23 ERA, over 133 career postseason innings, including three World Series championships. And c- when you compare the war of Kurt Schilling and David Ortiz, 79.5 to 55.3. Yeah, but am I going to reward a guy for playing on good teams? That's my question, because if he never plays in the postseason, if he's a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates during his career, is he a Hall of Famer? But I'm also not going to punish a guy for playing on good teams. You still have to perform at the highest level, whether your team is good or not. You do, but I am i don't judge players. I, I think it's a nice addendum to a career, but... I'm looking at the 162-game body of work generally when I'm voting for a Hall of Famer. I'm just wondering how much of this is we like this guy and we don't like that guy. If it's strictly numbers that are getting voted on or if it's, I think David Ortiz is a pleasant guy. He was the face Mm -hmm. of a a legacy organization. He's beloved by everyone in baseball. And I'm not saying that he's not worthy to be a Hall of Famer because he is. But if Ortiz's number, if this was a blind taste test and you put Ortiz's numbers compared to some of these other guys, I, I think that there would be, like if you didn't know which player had which numbers and you didn't know which ones had had suspicions of PEDs or which ones were guys that you loved or not, how would you mm-hmm. vote? If you, Because I just think there's so many other factors that get taken into consideration other than strictly the numbers. And David Ortiz was spectacular. Once he got to Boston, he was a phenomenal player. And I, I can legitimately put David Ortiz and his numbers in the Hall of Fame and say, okay, those are... And I still look at threshold numbers. I know that in the analytics era, we don't. But this is a guy that hit 541 home runs, drove in almost 1,800 runs. He played for a franchise that won on a a regular basis and was a a middle-of-the-lineup guy for a really good lineup. And I can't say that. And stood above everybody else was heck even in his last year david ortiz led the league in slugging led the league in ops and if you look at kurt schilling's career yeah he did lead the league multiple times in strikeouts but he was never as prolific as a hitter or as a pitcher as david ortiz i don't think as a pitcher as david ortiz was as a hitter
Yeah, I mean, look at that 2013 World Series. He single-handedly beat the Cardinals. <laughs> now, yeah, it's their right. fault for still pitching to him, but he was yeah. unreal. The, the one thing that Schilling did well was be durable. Led the league in starts three different times. Led the league in innings. Pitched a couple of times. Did have a couple of years where he led the league in wins. His 162-game averages, 15-10 and 10 with a 3.46, which is really, really good. But it, at this stage, I can't put that in the Hall of Fame. I just think that the, the David Ortiz case is so interesting to me because the way that he's viewed as a steroid guy or not as a steroid guy, mm-hmm. I just think is so different compared to Bonds or Clemens. I mean, he was his name was leaked as a part of that yeah. 2003 anonymous survey. He never failed a test after that, but Bonds or Clemens didn't either. Mm-hmm. But it seems like so many things with David Ortiz get overlooked because we love him and we want him to get in as opposed right. to Bonds and Clemens. And I just think that's such a double standard. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. There there is certainly suspicion about David Ortiz, but like the other guys, never found to have broken the rules. I I hope he makes it. I hope he's in the Hall of Fame. By the way, I mentioned the 162 game average for Schilling, mm-hmm. 15 and six, 3.46. How much different really is 14 and nine and 3.76, which is the 162 game averages for Chris Carpenter? Oh, I think Chris Carpenter should definitely <laughs> I, I get more You know that. Yeah. But and he won 144 games during his career, but he'll never be in the Hall. And of some it. massive postseason moments. Right, exactly. Like like Schilling. Now, Schilling's overall numbers are better. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that Carpenter was superior or even equal to Kurt Schilling. But the guy but couldn't feel his face. He got ribs removed. I mean, those are things that aren't going to be in the black and white numbers. That's a Hall of Fame maneuver in and of itself. It's unreal. I don't know why that's not taken into consideration. The guy couldn't feel his face. Yeah. So is let me give you the list here. And you can just give me a yes or no. A lot of a lot of support. He's only got 10.9 percent of the votes. A lot of support, though. A lot of people really want Bobby Abreu to be in the Hall of Fame. Yes or no? I don't, without having the concrete numbers in front of me, I would just say no. Bonds. I would put him in. Clemens. I would put him in. We're on the same page. Our friend Mark Burley. He's he had a pretty good career. Want to say young, but right now I would say yeah, no. I think he's borderline. That being said, I can't believe he only has 5.2% of the vote at the moment. Todd Helton. Pretty good career, but I don't know if I'd vote for him. I can't either. Ryan Howard, another buddy. <sighs> Same thing. Really good career, really impressive resume. I don't know if I'd put him in. Probably comes off the ballot only as 1.6% at the moment. Tim Hudson, another really good career. Uh, I don't know if I'd vote for him. Can't do it. Tory Hunter, another really good career. A lot of people championing for Tory Hunter, but that one's tough. I, I'd say no, though. And he comes off the ballot. He's only got 1.6%. Oh, yeah, right. Andrew Jones is at 49%. A lot of support for Andrew Jones. And over the years, his support will probably grow. I think I'd vote for him. Jeff, and if I'm going to vote for Jim Edmonds, I'm, I'm going to vote for Andrew Jones. Yes. And I think Jim Edmonds should have gotten more of a I do look. Too. I think I it's ridiculous too. that he didn't. Yeah, Jeff Kent, arguably the best offensive second baseman in the history of the game. I'd vote for him. I would do it. He's at 31.8%. Tim Lincecum. You know what's crazy? When Tim Lincecum was retiring and when he was at his peak, we were all talking about him as a, as a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. Yep. So he's someone that I would vote for. He was a shooting star, though. He only had the two years. 3.1% of the vote. Even Tim Lincecum probably comes off the ballot this year. Joe Nathan, one of the all-time great closers? Yes. I'm going to go no on Joe Nathan, and I hate to do that. David Ortiz were both yes. Yes. 
Jonathan Papelbon. Maybe I'm just more lenient in who I would vote I, for. I, and I love that idea. Like, like I say, why would anybody want to keep guys out of the Hall of Fame? Well, I just if if you do your job exceptionally mm-hmm. well, like when you talk about one of the greatest closers of all time, I think that there should be X amount of closers or X amount of catchers. You know what I mean? I would just look at how many people that played this position are going to get elected. Not that many. So if you were one of them, I'm going to vote for you. My thing with Nathan, and it's Again, it's unfortunate that he didn't play on teams. He played for a long time, but he played in the same era as Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman. And those guys had 600 saves. So it's hard for me to put a guy that had like 350 in there mm-hmm. when those guys were doing what they did. Papelbon has 0.5%. He's kind of, if we're going to vote, not vote guys in because they're jerks, Papelbon <laughs> probably is top of the list. Andy Pettit. Higher has, than A Rod? Arod made a lot of enemies while he was yeah, playing. Pepple Bond. You're going to put him in the same conversation? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we can. Okay. 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 Uh, Andy Pettit. See, there's a guy that I would have to look closely at. I would too. Uh, Manny Ramirez, I vote no. I would vote no too. Arod, we vote no. No. Scott Rowland, yes. Yes. Jimmy Rollins, MVP. Kind of a hall of really, really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Schilling. Yeah, I, I got, would vote I, for him. I would. You, okay, so we differ on Schilling. Gary Sheffield, one of the great hitters of all time. I probably wouldn't. I don't think so either. Sammy. You know, I think Sosa and McGuire should both be in. I'm with you. Uh, Mark Teixeira has 0.5% of the vote. Really good career, but probably not. Yep. Omar Vizquel. Mm, probably not. Probably not. And then Billy Wagner is the last one. No. And he's at 49.5%. I think I would with Billy Wagner. Maybe the best left-handed reliever of all time. So there you have it. Uh, those are the guys that should make the Hall of Fame this afternoon. Three Greg Amzinger will have that show for you on MLB Network. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Okay, a couple of quick things for you. This text from our buddy Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, talking about things that we would love to change in history if we had a take back. Yes. The Blues took Keith Osborne in the 1987 draft. He was 12th overall, three spots ahead of one Joe Sackick, who went to Quebec. Osborne played five games for the Blues and 16 in the NHL. Of course, Joe Sackick is a Hall of Famer and a multi-Stanley Cup champion. It's a pretty good one. Yeah. And Michelle, you wanted me to repeat the statistics Yes, we were just talking about baseball Hall of Fame candidates and who should get in, who shouldn't. We were talking about Ortiz versus Schilling. Kurt Schilling, 15th all-time in Major League Baseball in strikeouts with 3,116. Of the 14 players ahead of Kurt Schilling on the all-time strikeout list, every single one except for Roger Clemens is in the Hall of Fame. Wow. I just think people have a hard time with him separating the person from the player. And he was a strikeout artist, 87th all-time in wins, 407th all-time in ERA. Also, we were talking about Mark Burley and his candidacy. Did not win a Cy Young. I got it mixed up. Obviously, uh, perfect game, World Series title, and no hitter. Good resume. Yep, and uh, his family, and many times Mark listened. So, hi, Mark and and Burley clan. How you doing? It's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, we talked earlier in the show about Tom Brady, and he had to decide his future, if he's going to come back to the NFL or not. And 
Aaron Rodgers doing the exact same thing. The Packers have already decided their stance on Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur talked yesterday and said that the front office is united and wanting Aaron Rodgers to come back to Green Bay. He says, quote, we're all on the same page there. There's no debate. And Rob Domofsky, the Packers reporter for ESPN, talked about where the Packers go from here. Well, here's the thing. Uh, right now, they're like $48 million over the projected salary cap for uh, the, the 2020 season. Now, a big chunk of that is Rodgers himself. So if he comes back, they'll obviously have to redo his deal, restructure it to lower that cap number, which is not that big of a deal. But there are a ton of guys um, that they may not be able to work into that. And, and the key one there is Devontae Adams, right? I mean, he's a free agent. He said this summer that he wants to be the highest paid receiver in the league. And I think, you know, you say that in the summer, you know, and then you say, all right, well, let's see what you do to back it up. Well, he backed it up times 10, right? I mean, the season he had was unbelievable. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons he didn't take whatever deal was being offered is because he doesn't necessarily know if he wants to be here if Aaron Rodgers isn't here. And it's like, so which domino falls first, right? It has to be, I think, Rodgers. You would think Rodgers would be the first domino mm-hmm. that has to fall because as Rob Domofsky just mentioned, I imagine a lot of those other guys don't want to make their decision to come back to Green Bay without knowing if 12 is going to be there. And so you have to slice 40 just to get to the cap, and then you probably need to get at least 30 under so that you can give a raise to Devontae Adams and keep your other guys around. I. I just can't imagine that they're not going to be in a rebuild scenario, which is what Aaron Rodgers said that he wants to avoid. He doesn't want to be in a rebuild scenario. My question would be, are the Packers capable of avoiding a rebuild scenario with the problems that they have with the salary cap? It seems like it's going to be hard to do. It really does. And I wonder Aaron Rodgers, who has the memory of an elephant, does not forget, holds a grudge better than almost anybody. Even though he has a better working relationship and better open lines of communications with Brian Gutekunst Mm -hmm. and the front office, this is somebody that really wanted out and did not feel appreciated. And even though they were able to come to a better agreement and put that aside in order to go out there and play and, and win a Super Bowl, I wonder how much of that he's still carrying with him mm-hmm. and he clearly as Rob Domofsky just said made made the deal partly so that he could get out and this is his opportunity to do it so I have a even though I think it's probably a good thing for him to stay in Green Bay and have them try to continue to build around him retain as many of those pieces as possible strictly because I look at the AFC Randy or different places where he might go and the AFC is loaded with young stud really quarterbacks yeah, good point. and right now he's in a division where they could clearly con- continue to run the division for a while they're better than the Vikings the Bears or in a rebuild. I mean, he's got a good position right now if if winning is his ultimate yeah. goal. And Michelle, as I look at this, they are 40 million over the cap for next year. But Zadarius Smith, who played the first game and the last game, and the blue the Packers did very well without him. His cap number this year was 27.6 million. Preston Smith, who isn't even a starter for them anymore, his cap number was 20 million, actually 21. So you're at 37.40. That's 48 million right there if you just get rid of the two Smiths. And then you had Randall Cobb coming in at nine and a half. He's not going to make that next year if he comes back. So maybe it will be easier for the Packers to manage this cap situation than I initially thought it would be. Do you think there's any chance Rodgers retires? I don't see that happening. Do you? I don't either, but also he surprised me a lot this season with um, a peek into his mind. I think that 
I, I said this earlier, he zags when everyone mm-hmm. expected him to zig this year. And I don't know, he's he's obviously playing at an MVP caliber level. This is someone that has a lot of confidence in himself and can still physically play and probably thinks that he could go somewhere and pull off a Tom Brady and, and win immediately. And he does make almost any team at least more of a contender with himself there. But I don't know. Part of me would also not be totally shocked if he just came out and said, I'm good. And it shocks us because he's so talented and he has stuff left in the tank and he's a competitor. But also, we see, like I said, we've seen such a different side of right. him and what he's interested in and what drives him this year. Two quick things. Number one, do we know if he and Shailene are still together? I don't know. That I don't might know. be a game there's changer, been, right? There's been conflicting things out sure. there. Who knows? And the other point is, one team that we haven't talked about that we should is the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, who have a ton of cap room and a ton of draft capital would be very smart to pursue Aaron Rodgers at all costs. Do you think they go to him and say, you can pick the head coach? It's not a bad move. We get rid of B-Flow. Who do you want? We'll go out there and we'll make it happen. Yep. Or just hire somebody that would automatically be attractive to to him. And that would be somebody that he can control. Yeah. And if you're the (laughs) Dolphins, why Why not? not? (laughs) Yeah. Let him run it for a year. Try to win a Super Bowl. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Yeah, with the, with the defense that they have and the mm-hmm. talent around him on offense, they're pretty close to being a quarterback away. So you move to a? Yeah. Where do and you probably think... not to Green Bay, but somebody would take him. I was going to say, what team do you think would want to jump at Tua? I want to see where Brian Dayball goes. If he goes to the Giants, Dayball was Tua's offensive coordinator at Alabama and obviously has a great deal of familiarity with him. So if Dayball winds up with the Giants, I think that would be a good spot for Tua. There's going to be a lot of quarterback movement this offseason. Again, very fun. Very fun. You're killing me, Small. It's like the NBA. I love it. So we know that Tom Brady might not know his future in Tampa Bay, but one guy whose future in Tampa Bay is confirmed, and it's done, is Antonio Brown. So it's been only three weeks since he ran off the field and ripped his shirt off. Doesn't that seem crazy? It seems like forever forever ago. But anyway, he's already lobbying for a new job. He went on the I Am Athlete podcast, and he told Brandon Marshall that he knows where he wants to play next and it's in Baltimore he said Lamar Jackson action Jackson let's give Lamar Jackson his flowers he is a great quarterback now Lamar Jackson responded to this he quote tweeted the video Randy with the smiling devil emoji (laughs) so he didn't exactly shoot it down and I wonder if they've already been in contact and if that's uh, a team and the the Ravens who were very talented, absolutely decimated by injuries that would take a flyer on Antonio Brown. This is an organization that before Terrell Owens was traded to Philadelphia, tried to trade for T.O. He wouldn't go there. They kept Ray Lewis around for a long time. They have acquired some players over the years that had somewhat sketchy backgrounds and were able to be productive with them. So... I wouldn't be surprised if he landed somewhere in the NFL. If you told me that he was going to land with one team, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was Baltimore. The only two teams that I could even envision would be Baltimore and Dallas. And Dallas has depth at receiver. I don't know why they would go there. Baltimore needs a receiver, a a number one guy. But how often does a 34-year-old number one wide receiver show himself? But Dallas does seem like a place that is so desperate to win and that has mm-hmm. taken on guys who may be problematic before. They don't really care about that. I mean, Jerry Jones is in desperation. I need to win now mode. But they already didn't get the ball to C.D. Lamb enough this year. And you didn't get the ball to Amari Cooper enough this year. And you, Dalton Schultz is there as their tight end. And Michael Gallup will be coming back. He got hurt in the postseason or down the, I guess it was in the postseason. That they, They've got enough guys there. 
Antonio Brown's not the missing piece for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what the missing piece is for Dallas, but it ain't him. Is it a head coach? It might be. Sean Payton, yeah. Because it seems like a lot more conversation picking up about Mike McCarthy potentially being done there. Well, if I'm Dallas and Gail Benson is saying, we don't know what Sean's going to do, the owner of the Saints. If I'm Dallas, I'm calling and saying, yeah, we'll give you a number one for Sean Payton. Yeah, I would. Yeah. If you think if you really think that Mike McCarthy is a thing that's holding you back, then looking at that roster of talent and Jerry Jones's hunger to win, I can't imagine that they wouldn't well, give that up for a coach like Sean Payton. And the one here's what I think of Sean Payton. He and Belichick are the two remaining Parcells guys left in the league. If I'm about half the teams in the league, I'm giving up a number one for Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. He's that good. What he did this year, going nine and eight with that team in New Orleans, was unbelievable. Jameis Taysom. I mean, yeah. he's been impressive. Right. Didn't have Michael Thomas. Didn't have him for a snap all year long. Their defense was decimated. He did an unbelievable job there. He did. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, speaking of Rodgers and Brady and the rest, should teams even be trying to win with older quarterbacks? And that's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for What's on Tap. Don't forget, we have the Champ Bash Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. Brought to you by Car Shield and Bud Light. Anthony Stalter and I will have a pregame show from noon to 2. And we'll be at Helen Fitzgerald's until the kickoff at 2 with the show. And then you can watch the games. Great food, great drink, great time at Helen Fitzgerald's Sunday for the AFC and NFC Championship games. A lot of discussion about Tom Brady, Michelle, this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, take it or leave it. Tom Brady holds his retirement press conference at Buccaneers Park and on his drive home goes through the Taco Bell drive through and gets a Crave case or whatever they call it. Uh, fourth meal? Fourth meal, yeah, with, with like White Castle. 10 tacos. I'm going to leave that. I think that if I'm Tom Brady, I'm going steak. Baskin Robbins? I'm going steak. You know, he's probably got a personal chef, man. He's going like... But he's got to go unhealthy. Steak is... You know, steak and broccoli. This is his opera. He's done with football. He doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do pistachio ice cream anymore. No, it's avocado ice cream. Avocado, whatever. Pistachio ice cream's delicious. Okay, Very good. good. Well, That's he doesn't a have treat. to do avocado, avocado either. So I'm just saying he goes somewhere where. Okay, he, I got it. He, got he it. can let loose. Take it or leave it. Tom Brady ODs on nightshades. I'll take that, yeah. He's eating tomatoes, <laughs> strawberries. He is going all red all yeah. the time. But, you know, I still think he comes back. I know that we are analyzing every possible angle of his comments um, in his in the Let's Go podcast. And he did talk extensively about the toll that him playing takes on his family mm-hmm. and that Giselle hates watching him get hit and how she deserves to have her husband around and his children are growing up and they deserve to have their dad around. And I understand that that's a glimpse into his mind, but I also think this is one of the most hyper-competitive people we've ever seen play Mm -hmm. football who said he wanted to play until his year 45 season. And after the the unbelievable numbers that he put up this year, a heartbreaking exit in the playoffs. Do you think he's really going to call it quits one year before his goal year? I just don't know if I see that happening. When he can still play at an elite level. He's not. He hasn't lost anything physically. This is coming down to how much Giselle wants to put a foot down. Because he said in the press conference yesterday, or on the show, he said it really is dependent upon Giselle, who hates to see me get hit. And he did get hit pretty much this year. But you think after so many years of doing it, if he said to her, 
I said 45. This is the last year. I'm yeah. going to come out at the beginning of the season, say no matter what happens, mm-hmm. this is the last, the last dance, there. last hurrah. Because really, what's one more year yeah. at this point? Other right. than the fact that he could achieve his own personal goal of playing through his year 45 season, which is what motivates him anyway. Yeah. It's not the trophies. Because he talked about it at length before the Rams game. They said, what's the dream exit for you? And he said, obviously, to win out on a Super Bowl. But I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to decide when when is the correct time. Michelle, he's a freak of nature. He won his first three Super Bowls when he was 24, 26, and 27. In 2002, Brad Johnson won at the age of 34. Ben Roethlisberger won his Super Bowls when he was 23 and 26. Peyton Manning won his Indy Super Bowl when he was 30. Eli won at the ages of 26 and 30. Breeze won his at 30. Aaron Rodgers won at 27. Joe Flacco was 27 when he won. Russell Wilson was 25. Peyton Manning, with that unbelievable defense, was 39 when he won his last one. Carson Wentz and Nick Foles of the Eagles, 25 and 28. Mahomes, 24. The only guy in the last 20 years, there are three quarterbacks that have won uh, Super Bowls beyond the age of 30. One with one of the great defenses of all time, Brad Johnson at 34 with the Buccaneers. He didn't have to play that well. Peyton Manning at the age of 39 with the Patriots, or with the Broncos rather, in 2015, did not have to play well. Those teams didn't win because of quarterback play. Michelle, I'm going to revisit this if I'm a team, especially with a good young quarterback, and I can move him for big value at the age of 31 after his 30th birthday. I'm moving on. But how many of those quarterbacks won because they didn't have that big contract yet? Or they weren't necessarily have they were able to have more pieces around them because the team built was built correctly and cashed in. Well, and that's why you might have to go back to the younger quarterback on his first contract. Maybe that's the model to use is to be able to build a team rather than have 40 million tied up in your cap uh, with your quarterback. But the problem there is if you're in the position to pick the quarterback that's likely going to be a transcendent piece of your organization, you're a bad football team and there's a lot of pieces that you need to acquire. That's the problem. But again, we, we think that, but you don't have to be horrible. I mean, the Chiefs traded up to get Mahomes at number 10, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger was number 12. Eli Manning obviously was high. Brady was a sixth rounder. Aaron Rodgers was taken 24th. You said Mahomes was 12. Uh, 10 or 12. 10 or 12. Roethlisberger was 12. So I I remember when he first got drafted, everything we were hearing out of Kansas City is they love this guy. They're going to fast track him because Mm -hmm. he's going to be the guy. But he he wasn't a Baker Mayfield number one overall pick or a Joe Burrow, you know. But the fact that they're picking at that level, yes, they had to trade up, shows you that they weren't a complete rebuild. Right, right, exactly. They, they identified, they in identified him their that, guy. He, that he was going to be yep. a stud. But Breeze was the first pick in the second round. Joe Flacco was the 19th pick. Russell Wilson was a third rounder. So uh, uh, Nick Foles was a third rounder. You don't have to have that number one pick. You need to have a good organization that can identify that guy. Even now, obviously, you look at what Stafford being the first pick in the draft, but they traded for him. But then you have Mahomes, and then you have... Jimmy G, who was a second rounder of New England, and they traded a second rounder. And then Burrow, who was the the top pick in the draft. So it's not a bad thing to have the top pick in the draft, but you don't have to have that guy. So I'm just saying, if I have a 31-year-old quarterback with a big contract and I can move him like Detroit did Mm -hmm. with Matthew Stafford, I think I'm looking at that. Especially if you're in a position like the Lions where you need to get some stuff back. Right, and you can. 
No doubt about it. Can I give you a, a Teoli real quick? Yes. So from the 314, take it or leave it. Circling back to your initial comment about Tom Brady going through Taco Bell after his post game or his retirement mm-hmm. presser. Take it or leave it from the 314. Tom Brady turns into Ben Stiller at the end of the movie <laughs> Dodgeball. Fat and sloppy. I'm going to totally take that. I don't know. I don't know if Giselle would let him. Yeah. You know, they've had such a, a health-focused lifestyle for so many years. She's all about eating organic and about Mother Nature. I can't imagine her just letting Tom... I'm going to start go. eating good stuff if I'm Tom Brady. See, if I'm him, you know what I do? Damn you, Chuck Norris. <laughs> Damn you. If I'm Tom Brady, it's not even Taco Bell. I'm going full pizza. I'm saying I'm eating a whole pizza. Everybody leave me alone. And tell us about that pizza, Michelle. Well, I would want it to be a pepperoni and jalapeno pizza, probably from mm-hmm. Pizzeria de Gloria, which so is my fi- favorite. Figure that might and be I'm the case. A, I'm a Midwestern girl, so I need a side of ranch. Sorry. Nothing wrong with that. Love a side of ranch. Let good. me dunk it in ranch. That's what Tom Brady should do. And by the way, a big thumbs up when you mentioned that pizza from our Italian producer, engineer, the one and only Matt Rocchio. Also the location. I discovered that about two or three months ago. I've been there three or four times. It's incredible. It's amazing. So there you go. Check great, it out. Great job by uh, Rock today. Thank you, brother. Hey, thank you, guys. Michelle, this was fun. It was raining. I'll see you tomorrow for Hump Day. Hump Day. Looking forward to that. Hey, we have the balloon party coming up with Tim McKernan and Action Jackson, and then BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2. Is Timmy here today? I saw him earlier for his uh, his morning show because they're having a baby. So he, oh, yeah, at some point right. pretty soon, he's Ex- not going to be here. Exciting stuff. A new it, member of our 101 ESPN family. It's going to be great. BK and Ferrar. You should have seen Michelle jump when DeMarco left to have the baby. And she, 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 she had like an 18-inch vertical, maybe a 24-inch vertical. And she said, oh, a new family member. I was so excited for, for DeMarco and Susie and Trinity to have yeah. a, a new sibling. Pretty cool. So you, you've got BK and Ferrari 11 to 2. And then in the fast lane, they'll tell you who's making the Hall of Fame or if there is any Hall of Fame members. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.